I'm Kay. I'm Chris. I'm Corey. I'm Marius. I'm Justin. And, and this, this is, is Comics First. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Comics First podcast. As always, when discussing anything X-Men or graphic novel related, I'm your host, Comics First CEO Justin Alba. Today we are discussing an X-Men classic, X-Men's Age of Apocalypse, which was a crossover event in 1995 that featured an alternate timeline where Professor Charles Xavier sacrifices his life to save Magneto before the two ever become enemies with opposing ideologies. Without Professor Xavier to form the X-Men as we then knew it, Apocalypse, who is usually considered the oldest mutant, but is actually the third oldest in comics, he takes over North America and turns it into a totalitarian regime under the banner of social Darwinism, where only the fittest survive. A quick note that Selene is actually the oldest mutant in Marvel Comics. Like I said, Apocalypse is the third. And one reason we're doing this podcast that isn't about how awesome and important the story is when it first came out is that Brian Singer used this as an inspiration for X-Men Apocalypse, the next X-Men movie in the X-Men Cinematic Universe, which is due out very, very soon. And, you know, we wanted people to have an anchor story in comics that they could read and learn about, you know, the character of Apocalypse and Magneto and Xavier and all these people in there and hear about some more of the major aspects of the story through our discussion today. So here to talk with me are four incredible Comics First writers, contributors, and personalities. And before I introduce them, do find us at ComicsFirst.com, on Facebook.com slash ComicsFirst, at Comics Comics First on Twitter and YouTube at Comics First TV. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love your thoughts on the podcast. So please send the love or hate, but hate is definitely better. Oh, wait, just kidding. Love is better. No, seriously, we want love or hate. Either way, it'll help us. If you hate us, let us know because it'll help us love us later. Help us love you, whatever. So, and who you hear talking, the, that angel who's chiming in your ear right now is Kay Honda, Comics First <laughs> Production Coordinator. Hi. Kay, how are you doing? I'm doing great thank <laughs> but you for asking <laughs> but you just came out with a web a web comic for comics first which is awesome i did i just finished that up with uh dennis Mui and christine down yeah awesome and uh it's called millennial so definitely check it out on the site so you know it's funny because we always talk about art and stuff uh, and yeah, we do. i was you know i think i was wondering given your the fact that you studied storytelling visual storytelling mm -hmm. in college that's what you graduated with yeah yeah so does that change the way that you has it changed the way you read comics sort of becoming aware of a little art bit more a little bit but not not in a way that's distracting it's more that i think the same way someone gets really used to doing analysis when they're reading literature you know in school i start to feel like i read comics like that so it's actually harder for me to pick up comics and finish them because it like takes a lot out of me i know that sounds really douchey but it's kind of like you want to pick it up and then give it its due attention like i can't read one issue of a comic and just be like okay that was fun like and then toss it aside it's harder for me okay yeah so i think harder i guess is the short answer thinking harder is good i try not to yeah. think at all i know i try not to either which is why it <laughs> sucks because it's like a mixed bag of feelings i'm lucky this podcast is all about thinking I know. Lucky me. Marius, X-Men superstar comic reviewer. How can I not say vegetarian, utilitarian, and special right. needs school volunteer who deals with a lot of poop? Totally. How are you? To totally. I'm fine. That's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear. Are you pumped for this podcast? I'm, re I'm really excited to uh, be talking about some Age of Apocalypse today. So... Oh, I know. Kay said on. I agree. That's very cute. So anyway, how weird is... I remember you telling me that American politics are like re satirical reality. Yeah, totally. Chris Massari, comics first right. writer, journalist, as we say. I, I'm as a we say. Now. Um, you are, I guess. Uh, whatever the... F 
fuck you do. You interview people, and if you haven't yet, check out Chris's interviews with Scott Snyder, the team behind Dark Knight 3, Master Race, and more at comicsverse.com and on YouTube, right, Chris? Yeah. What was your favorite interview from New York Comic Con? From New York? This wasn't so much an interview as it was a roundtable interview, so I was with other people, but the uh, creators of the Venture Brothers. They oh, were, awesome. They they came in, like, both of them came in with, like, goblets. Like, I'm, like, actually, they're more like wine cup goblets, but they came in with goblets of alcohol just came in fucking suits glasses as like the most fucking like suave mother fuckers you have ever seen and they came down sat down talked when they talked if you ever watched adventure brothers like their voices are very distinct so when they're talking it's like shit i feel like i'm talking to the fucking characters right now and like their personalities suave as shit funny as fuck and it was like it was like listening to like an old gay couple, like the way they would argue and like talk. It was fucking hilarious. Like they'd go back and forth, like fucking with each other. It was great, awesome. That's awesome. You can catch that on. Also, oh shit. <laughs> um, nah, I couldn't videotape it, so no, I thought it was on Comics First. Not sorry. <laughs> You're like actually, it's for this. I'm really excited. Website. I was like, shit, that interview might be on there. It's not. <laughs> All right. So finally joining us from John Kasich's lovely state of Ohio is Corey Spanner, comics first writer, intern, and journalist as well. You guys are just so many fucking journalists here today. So you had your first interview with creator Dirk Manning at Wizard World Cleveland this year. How was it? It was amazing. Dirk's like the coolest dude I've ever met at a Comic-Con. Awesome. Yeah. Hashtag Dirk Manning. Ha- hashtag Dirk mother fucking Manning is right. So yeah, it was your first Comic-Con for comics first. You had a good time? Had a great time. Met a lot of cool people. I interviewed a seven-foot-tall Spock cosplayer who was in character the entire time. Awesome. That's nice. how I want to spend my Saturday. Yeah, for serious. Right. So how do you feel about being on your first podcast? Are you excited? I'm pumped. I love Age of Apocalypse. I want to talk about it. So before we delve more into Age of Apocalypse, Corey, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on the story? Let's do this. Age of Apocalypse. It, uh, it all starts with Legion Quest, which was a small crossover event that happened just before Age of Apocalypse started. To keep it short, Xavier's son Legion, uh, who suffers from multiple personality disorders, went back in time and killed Xavier before we could start the X-Men. He tried to kill Magneto, but Xavier sacrificed himself to save Magneto's life. Uh, this created another reality, one where Apocalypse rose to power instead of Xavier creating the X-Men. And Apocalypse basically dominates the world. He controls all of America with his horsemen and his super soldiers, uh, while the rest of the humans are either dead in Apocalypse's camps or in Europe trying to rebel against Apocalypse. Uh, From here on out, the story gets pretty big. There was no real miniseries event to it like you would find today. Like, think about how Secret Wars was its own series and how all these spinoff series. Apocalypse was just the spinoff series. Mm. Uh, It started out with one issue called Alpha. That kind of kickstarted things. And from then on, it went to about eight different individual series that took the place of the other X-Men books. Kind of spun them in an apocalyptic way, obviously taking place in the Age of Apocalypse. For example, X-Men, the X-Men were led by Magneto. Cyclops worked for Mr. Sinister, who worked for Apocalypse. A bunch of crazy things happened like that. Sabretooth was the guardian of Blink. Wolverine was largely absent. It was vastly different than the X-Men landscape that we know of. Mm. Uh, One of the most important things, though, was that Bishop was there. He was the only one who remembered what the world was supposed to be like. So over the course of these series and spinoffs, a lot happens. We won't go into detail 
too much right now. But in the end, Magneto was somehow able to lead what's left of the X-Men against Apocalypse and Triumph, thanks to not only teamwork, but the reality-altering uh, Merkin or Merkin crystal, however you want to pronounce it. I think it's Merkin. 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 Oh, M-Kron? Yeah. It is. It's M-Kron. Yeah. You were, I mean, it, you, you corrected me, so. It is. Sorry, I thought we were talking about America. Maybe it is you mean an America? allegory about America. Oh, like how we're taking over everything and like crystallizing the world? Mm. How the American they, crystal. How do they know Donald Trump would be? Well, Donald Trump's not going to be apocalypse. Uh, anyway, we should let him. We should let yeah, him finish. Yeah, yes, yeah. continue, Corey. Sorry, that's it. I'm done. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So when we joined the X Men and Legion quest, I noticed something. I was like, "Holy shit!" Mystique is all upset over Destiny, her lover. I didn't even realize at the time. I, I don't even think I caught at the time yeah. that they were like a couple. Mm-hmm. It was pretty shocking because you know we're, we talk all about diversity in comics now. Here we have a lesbian relationship back in the '90s. No one kind of made any fuss over it. I was wondering. Well, if Nobody made any fuss over it because they didn't make a big deal out of the fact. Like, it was a mix of not um, making a big deal out of it, but also kind of being like, oh, it's ambiguous enough that you don't have to think that they're lesbians, but they are. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, they don't make that specific, I feel like. I agree. What did you think, Chris? I didn't even think of that. Like, I, 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 didn't, I really didn't notice it at all. I guess, yeah, because they didn't, like, throw it in your face type of thing. Which, actually, now that we're talking about this, I watched. And this is totally relevant. So, all right. Um, I, don't we're know how, I don't know how many people have watched Blue Mountain State. But the, they put out the movie the other day. And one of the characters, so this this is like super heterosexual male, like most over the top partying thing, whatever. But one of the characters who's a football player comes out and kind of like mentioned it to a girl like, oh, no, you're not really gay. You're college gay. And she's like, well, how do you know that? It's because I'm actually gay. And then throughout the rest of the movie, they make a big deal about him. he kept saying like, no, no, I, I didn't want it to be a big deal. I keep it under like it's not a thing. Like it's not something I need to talk about. Like it doesn't, it's not something you got to flaunt. And the rest of the movie is all about the characters kind of like flaunting it, like pushing it and being over the top with it, where it's kind of like the same thing like this. Like, it's just there. It's not necessarily, it's relevant without being relevant, if that makes sense. It's not like, hey, we're diverse. It's just like, no. they're Yeah, it wasn't trying to pull anything, um, you know controversial it just was what it was yeah it was it's like hey we were in a relationship on the other hand to play devil's advocate on the other hand they could have thought that just the implication of them being in a lesbian relationship was controversial enough it was the 90s so that's kind of how i'm trying to think i feel like especially with comics and as much as people especially now bitch about comics not being diverse comics were like are pretty pivotal to like diversity of times like you look absolutely like, like they're always like the forefront of shit before it becomes mainstream so i feel like there's i I could be wrong but i feel like there might have been other comics that were diverse like this yeah with that like this that were just never publicized like now 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 with the comic when you come out with like female thor or black captain america it's like comes a lot of hey we're gonna go show this on the view we're gonna show this on well well, because it's popular that's that's what i mean like but back this the 90s or even before like when they right. came out with the first black superhero or they came out with whatever it was kind of just like hey we're doing this we're here to tell stories and this is the best way like it wasn't well it was it wasn't really meant close to, to be right no i see what you're saying Publici- it, i don't even i don't even get publicized it, it, well it wasn't well, also, yeah also comics really weren't things sadly that people were yeah they were in stories too well, there the wasn't the movies mm-hmm. right Corey, marius what did you guys think i didn't uh, even notice it didn't they like originally want to make like Eva Rogue or Kurt? I'm not sure right now. But one of them, like the physical child that uh, this lesbian couple would have together. Yes, uh, it was Kurt. 
Yeah, right. Oh, I, I can see that. That, that right. mystique would have transformed into a guy, impregnated Destiny, and then they had. Yeah, right. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, I would have loved that. That's really like, interesting. This is gonna. This is gonna get super. This is gonna be a super nerdy fuck question. Right. About Mystique's powers. What? So she changes oh. into a guy and impregnate, impregnate someone. Yeah. So her powers actually, like, she doesn't just change form. She changes the entire, like, I think, like, biological, yeah. biological yeah. 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 structure yeah. She where that. she could impregnate somebody. Her eggs drop, and then when she goes back to female, they come up. Inter- okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what happens. I mean, I kind of feel like they've been, like, dodging the controversy a bit. But then again, I mean, yeah, as you pointed out, it's like the 90s and it's definitely an accomplishment when it comes to diversity. So, yeah. If anything, I think it says something good about the people who are involved in the podcast today and the fact that nobody noticed. I noticed. No, like yeah, in terms of like just read the, like, like oh, white, oh, yeah. When I first read, I didn't notice. In the yeah. Room. yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah, notice. I yeah. When I was a kid, I didn't notice. But what, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of like, does it have to be notice that excessively all you really understand when you're reading it is that when you read it even as a child or even right now you're just like oh mystique's really pissed off and wants to get revenge for someone that she cared about yeah that's all you need to know about it. literally right. all yeah. you need literally, to know. when i read it it's like oh he killed whatever name yeah it makes Damn. sense yeah sucks oh now she's pissed off at him it was never like wait a second what is this he's like oh no killed what's his name lover holy shit you fucking asshole yeah exactly Right, and we'll get into what an asshole Legion is pretty soon. <laughs> but also, when the world was, when the world was ending in Legion oh, Quest, yeah. and I like this I, question. yeah, I, I remember Kane, you and I were reading we it together, this, and there yeah. was it was all about relationships, and I was like, holy shit! If you're not in a relationship, <laughs> are you just the biggest piece of shit that's ever existed? Well, I don't know. Cable wasn't in a relationship; he had to confess his. Uh... No, but he didn't have a he didn't yeah, have he like a some... cinematic moment. But like it was either. Beast who's like, oh shit, no one loves me. Uh-huh. I don't love anyone. I might as well just die already. So, did you guys? Notice that as well, like I, how relationship well, oriented noticed, it was. And I it's funny because on the walk over here, I was thinking how how cheap that was just because at first, because I was like, oh, like this is just like a cheap way to get readers, or like you know, it's a cheap way to get your attention because it's like a romantic moment of like, oh, this is our last moments alive together, so we have to make it count, like da 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 da, and you know, that's fine and all, but I think it also has a lot to do with kind of this idea that X Men are about supporting love at the end of the day like it's not the it's not like life versus death necessarily it's like love versus death and you know because living is really hard for them when it is like the age of apocalypse in that alternate universe but necessarily there are these moments of like love between people before the end of the world because it's like this is all they had been fighting for but isn't it saying in a way that like you're life isn't important unless you're in some like, i mean they could is, have made it a lot more interesting instead of just like having a bunch of heterosexual uh, couples yeah sure uh, i don't know i, I kind of felt like it was just like these are the people around me and like it was like no regret type of moment like oh might as well enjoy the last couple minutes i don't think it was necessarily like the cheap oh end of the world i have to love somebody it was more like well it's fucking end of the world might as well might as well make out yeah. uh yeah. Corey, Mar- oh, Corey, I, thought, you I thought it was I thought it was kind of sad almost because it was the end of the world and just nobody wanted to be alone. And I can't for the life of me remember which couple was standing there. I want to say it may have been Cyclops and Gene, but somebody else comes up and he's like, hey, do you mind if I die with you so that I don't have to die alone? I think it was Xavier who said that to Scott and Gene. Uh, was it? No, or was he with Lilandra? No, no, no. I mean, Xavier was with Gene and yeah. Gray, but I don't know if he interrupted them yeah, to be. I thought he was like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, to die with them. I know he interrupted them. Yeah, he did. Shit, who was it? Do you remember Marius? 
Wasn't that Beast? I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it might have been Beast. Oh, who did he want to die with? Oh, Scott and Gene. Scott and Gene or oh, right, Gambit right. and Rogue. Yeah, because well, that's, uh, that's Cable, Cable talked yeah. to Scott and Gene, too. There's a whole moment with that, too. Right, because yeah, because they yeah. find out about... They had, like, oh, yeah, no, that's bills, beautiful. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. Yeah. Fuck, who was it? We'll figure it out later. But if you know who um, that is, you can write us an email at queries.comicsverse.com <laughs> or Twitter. And fact check us or Twitter at <laughs> Comicsverse. Points for you <laughs> if you can insult us creatively. Yeah, Marius? You'll get, you'll get a free Wait, sh- sh- something. Sh- sh- you guys are unwieldy. <laughs> this is not how we do things anymore here, damn it. Marius? I was just going to add that what I thought was really interesting was like one of the panels in which uh, Angel is kind of reflecting on uh, like the upcoming end of the universe and he's like yeah great i found i finally found someone i uh, would love and who would love me back and who i could be like totally open to and now like two weeks later like the universe is gonna end and i thought that was like a really (laughs) interesting point maybe like the book was kind of trying to tell us that you know you could die each day you never know when and so you should probably like use that time and find someone you love i don't know I, I, I did think it was sweet, but I don't know. I, I felt there's something about older me looking back at younger me reading that and thinking like, man, is that all there is to life? Is this what this was kind of we had the like indoctrinating me to like think? Total assholery. That, that was total assholery and completely no, irrelevant to what I'm saying. End, yeah. But no, 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 no. The thing is, I think that they could have made it. He does it, come through at the end. He like they could have made it a little bit more diverse in what kinds of love you feel at the end of everything, like not just absolutely. romantic love. Absolutely. I like, totally agree. You know, like I think that they tried to do that with Xavier being like, oh my God, like my two star pupils, like they're married. And, cable. Da, 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 da. And, and like, yeah. And then the cable thing. Yeah, exactly. Like they did try to fit it all in there, but it's just more fun to have like a panel of couples kissing or whatever. Like cable had that moment with Psylocke. Domino. No, Domino. Oh, yeah. Domino. What do you, I think I was supposed to be experts you don't even know anyone's fucking name who's in this fucking yeah. comic and like they have a moment and domino's all like evasive about it but then it's just like just kidding i do like you a lot right which is kind of but weird because what... it's like i guess at the end of the world everyone's gonna act like a child about everything okay well, whatever. Yeah. marius what were you gonna say that's, true. that's kind of what i was thinking about like beast i mean i definitely i mean his feelings are understandable but then again i mean He's experiencing like the end of the world with his family, with his best friends. So they could have kind of shown that, like, I mean, platonic love for his teammates. I mean, he's known uh, Angel, Beast, and Gene for ages. So at least ten years at this point in Marvel yeah. X Men continuity. Okay, yeah. I know people are always freaking out and saying, "Oh, but you can't say that." But you kind of can because mm-hmm. if Jean Grey dies when she's twenty four in Dark Phoenix Saga, you know this is. Yeah, you know, and they she started when she was around been, sixteen. Yeah, eight and, years since uh, you uh, have to yeah, X Men right. right? Estimated time of at least. Yeah, about ten years. Yeah, that's a long time to you know when you grow up with somebody from fifteen or whatever yeah. to twenty five or twenty seven. That's I think that's a, a, a good amount of time. So of all the relationships and all the couples that we saw, who did you enjoy reading about most, Marius? It's a tough one. Yeah, probably it is tough. Uh, probably Cable and Jean and Scott, like the cute family moment they had together. It was I'm interesting that. that he knew, right? That Sorry? cable. It was interesting that cable knew that Gene and Scott were the ones who raised him in that sort of future. Yeah, I think that was beautiful too. Though he was like, "I was just waiting for you guys to talk to me about it." Right. Yeah. He didn't want to. He didn't want to hurt he them. He didn't want to. He didn't want to hurt them. He didn't want to ruin it. Right. What did What did you think, Kay? About that relationship in particular, or uh, which couple did you enjoy the most? The The, the ones who said goodbye at the end oh. of the Quest. Uh, Gambit and Rogue. 
Yeah, because you like a little messy. I mean, I think that that's more realistic. Like you don't you don't think very clearly when stuff is going down until like you see that the world is ending like right before your eyes and it's just kind of like oh shit like right i have to kiss the person that i love yeah he's like i was gonna be a dick but guess what the world's ending yeah because it's easy to just like deflect but you know Corey, what about you i like cyclops and gene too along ew with cable i mean i'm a (laughs) massive cyclops fan and to go back and see this in the 90s and see these moments was really cool but at the same time i also thought I'm a huge Gambit fan, and to see this awesome moment where Gambit and Rogue found, like, I have the panel open right now. It's just this awesome moment where they where they kiss, and, you know, it's the end of the world and all these things like that. Yeah. And, and they better hope it's I the like end of the know. world or, or so, else. So, so Gambit and Rogue, too. Yeah, no, but you, it, 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 they better hope it's the end of the world or else she's going to absorb him completely. That's true. From the yeah, kiss. Right. That you know? is true. If their world didn't end, she'd be like Gambit, Rogue, in the same person, and he would be in a coma. Mm-hmm. Just food for thought. It'd be one of the same because she would have absorbed all of it. Yeah, can you talk into the mic? We're on a podcast. Oh <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Um, no, she would. They would have became one person because she would have like absorbed. all Yeah, that's what I was saying. Gambit. Thank Not you. Like, you gave like the Donald Trump version of what I was saying. Those are those people. <laughs> wow, you're all, Sorry. all about the low blows today. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. For those well, of you who don't speak English, <laughs> Chris, just no. <laughs> shut up. No, we love you, Chris. We appreciate that you came here. You were at least the seventh or eighth person on the list that I asked to do this. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I feel you. like I'm the Ted Cruz watching like a Bernie Sanders. And no, are you kidding? I'm on. totally John Kasich in this. Shenanigans. Yeah, I yeah. feel like Marco over there is Bernie Sanders. No, Marco quietly. is like is like O'Malley. He's like not even part of this. What? But look Whoa. how happy he was. He was so about it. Yeah, he wants to be. You like O'Malley? You'd vote for O'Malley over Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton? Bernie first and then O'Malley. Okay, cool. Fuck. Communist. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I love O'Malley. Just kidding. I've never even heard of him. JK. That's JK. Not, yeah, JK. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked quite at length in the New Mutants podcast. That was a few weeks ago. A couple episodes before this about the fact that David was autistic and New Mutants is where uh, Legion makes his first appearance. And way later when New Mutants comes back, he's a major character in that. So how do you think that... It's interesting to point out that autism rates were like so much lower then. So I think the way that we view autism now is so different than the way we view autism then. Totally, yeah. Well, now we think it comes from shots. No, that's what. What's her yeah, name? Vaccinations. That, that, that's yeah, vaccinations. That's what Jenny it's McCarthy. Sarcasm. Thinks. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag sarcasm. Hashtag. All right, Chris. Well, you asked the question then. What do you? Did you look at it differently? <laughs> you're, you're punished for answering the question. Did you look at it differently? Given what we know now about autism than what we knew back then. Like, did, did that affect how you saw his character? Did no, you feel? No, no, no not, not at, all. at all. You got to give comics credit for uh, being ahead of, like, fucking everything. Like, right. they're always ahead of the curve, and no one gives them credit for that. But, no, it's the same thing with the Mystique thing. It was just like, oh, he's autistic, whatever. It's the character. Like, that's who he is, and it's how it's driving the story mm. forward. Right. So, yeah, no, I won't get any different. Marius, what about you? Because you work at a special needs school, so you deal with autistic yeah. people on the spectrum all the time. What did you think about it? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, really, because, uh, like, on the one hand, as you pointed out, it's definitely uh, worth noticing that uh, comics were ahead of the time in that case. But then again, I mean, I think we can all agree that uh, Legion did, like, a lot of questionable stuff. Uh, to which, say the least. Uh, which, which we're going to be talking <laughs> yeah. about a lot in the podcast. So I think that maybe his portrayal might have, I don't know, featured some like stereotypes that people yeah. who are like not really into the topic and who don't know that much about the autism spectrum 
might have. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, oh, these people are like not in their right minds and they're crazy or whatever. Like these weird stereotypes. But I'm not sure. Uh, Corey, what did you think? You know, I think there's, I looked at it kind of like two ways because yeah, comics were ahead of the time, like we said, and they and they took a, a new angle, I guess I want to say. They brought in a new characteristic to a character. But at the same time, I almost felt like it was like, we should be afraid of this person because the way he is in a lot of weird ways. It's not like I saw him like he was he was a bad person because of the disabilities he had. But at the same time, to make those disabilities part of what makes him evil in some ways, it just felt a little weird. Right. That may that may have just been me, but no, I kinda I kinda thought that too. It felt to me like they were trying to conflate autism with multiple personality disorder, which doesn't exist now right. anymore, okay. by the right. way. Well, I mean What did you guys think? think well, for me it was it's it's a conflicting thing because I don't think that they played it up played it up, you know, they didn't beat it with a dead horse enough for me to be worried about it, but it was definitely one of those things where like, you know, that Yes, I agree with Mary is that it was, there was like a limited understanding of kind of the autism spectrum back then. So that's one thing. And another thing is there's a point where they call David Haller or Legion schizophrenic, which is not what schizophrenia is. So that's another thing. Yeah. Like there was just a lot of uh, shortcomings in terms of where psychology has gone or mental health has gone from there. And, you know, especially with how everything is really PC now, I could see how this is problematic. But at the same time, like in the context of the time... I understand why they were like, they wanted to make David Holler as other as possible. And the fact that he was like a villain kind of was a consequence just because he was a very much an other of everything. So I could see how you could take it negatively and say, oh, they're trying to attribute autism with like this inherent evil that he can't control or whatever, whatever, or like a mental instability or something like that. But you could also think of it as like he's even an other he's an other in both worlds like he's an other in humanity as well as mutants like it's like a genetic thing that he can't do much about see i didn't see him i guess i'm the only one who felt this way but i didn't see him as a villain i didn't see him as necessarily quote unquote evil he was kind of mm. just like it's more of like a lack of understanding like when for if you gave like a child the power of like superman or like martian manhunter one of like the most op characters you can think of like how are they going to react when they can't necessarily grasp certain realities or certain what are normal for us civilized structures of doing things he legitimately thought magneto was the was and Satan, like the the one who hurt his father and all these things, and him trying to process this coming out of a coma, and again being what is he like? Probably like one of the top ten most powerful mutants, maybe like top fifteen. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I would say this. I would say probably top ten, right, Mary? Definitely, yeah, top ten. For sure, sure you have yeah. like someone who's essentially like has the power of gods, like a god, but doesn't have the the wisdom, if you want to call it, that goes along with that and trying to yeah. process. You're going through a lot of... You got to think about, like, everyone gets angry. Everyone makes does stupid shit when they're angry and, like, you have a lot of problems processing necessarily the situations. I saw it as this character, autistic or whatever they were, I guess, were, were establishing. They were trying to consider him autistic in this. He's trying to process all these emotions. He's trying to process all these things. And on top of that, he's OPS. So I feel like yeah. it was just... It was a clusterfuck of a lot of things going on. You got to think about how like a real human being would react. But don't you think he enjoyed it a lot for somebody who just thought they were doing the right thing? 
Maybe it's kind of one of those mad with power. Yeah, like man, like he, like yeah, like he, he, there's just a lot going on. So he's like, oh, look at me, I'm doing, I'm doing this awesome right thing. Like I'm, I'm avenging my father, and I'm, I'm living his dream. Like I'm gonna make him proud. Like even you don't have to have like anything wrong with you to make want to make your exactly, your yeah. idol figure proud. Yep. So you're yeah, like, that's... look at me, I'm gonna make him fucking proud. I'm gonna stop this evil motherfucker. And yeah, that's exactly what villains are, too. They're the hero in their yeah. own mind, so they think that they're doing the right thing, so they're getting off on it because they're just like, this is totally the right thing because I said it was, I said so. so but I agree yeah. with you on the other ring, too, because if you look at this, what kind of haircut was that? Yeah. That was... It was <laughs> that, that was just... The, that was the white guy. Uh, what's the, the hip-hop group? Uh, the, the, it's not a fade. Chris, Chris No, no. It's Chris... Uh, there was a guy Cross? who... There was a guy who had it on a Street Fighter, too, I think, yeah, or Tekken. Uh, uh, Guile. Guile? Guile, the blonde American. Yeah, oh, the, he yeah, had, the yeah, blonde American. It wasn't quite as tall, though. No. And no. His, his, like, his came was out a like commitment. An umbrella. Yeah, that Marius, I could see you, like, you could you could be David Holler for Halloween if you had that wig. Can you see it? Okay. Yeah, I could, yeah. Yeah. He would be so good, actually. He would yeah, be really you'd be a great legion, yeah. And very not assuming. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then next thing you know. No one would know except, like, really hardcore X-Men fans who'd just be yeah. like, yo. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Mary, if he was, like, in a hospital gown and everything, and you're like, yo. You could go back in time and try to hurt my original co-founder, and instead I'll sacrifice myself, and then next thing you know, Donald Trump will be president, and it'll be like a... What? Yeah. Who's it'll, Bishop? Who's it'll be Bishop? Like, Who's oh my gonna God. stop it? You can be Bishop. No, I. Well, what were you gonna say, Marius? Uh, Chris, <laughs> I really did like your uh, comparison to uh, like Legion being kind of like a child because that's mm. essentially what uh, this was about to me. Like his attempt at uh, trying to kill Magneto was was like really naive. As well, it was like, yeah, I'm going to kill this person and it's gonna solve every problem mm. uh, in the world, and my father's dream is uh, going to come true. And I also thought that what he was searching for was kind of like just an intact family, really. That's like no, that, the that, last thing. Totally. That's true. Sorry. He was so willing to hurt other people to get that. Yeah, but like everyone would be yeah, willing would... to hurt other people for their families. It's, and enjoy it so much, you think? Again, I, I, would. I, don't, I don't see the, in, I don't necessarily <laughs> see like the, the straight up, oh, this is enjoyable. But that, what about when like, he had sex with his mother? It's more like. Okay, the, no, he didn't. We don't know that. There was. Yeah, that a, got there really, was, yeah, there, really there weird. There was this yeah. one panel really that suggested that. And you're like, oh. I was like, is this really, it's like, I don't remember. Do not call me suck. Do not call me. David. That was so weird. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was really weird. I, I definitely didn't remember that the first read through. Maybe it's when an I was edible thing. No, me neither. Huh? Maybe it's like an edible. I'm sure it's edible, but it's, but the, again, that's just like in our subconscious and he made it in his reality. He was. Right. I, yeah. But that's what I mean. Like when you have godlike powers and you're a kid, you don't think about, oh, this is morally wrong. You're yeah, just he like, was definitely ah. delusional. Yeah. It was definitely like, like delusional. Okay, I, I, I accept delusional okay. levels of like, totally. this is what right. I have to do. Okay, I accept delusion. All right, so the first Age of Apocalypse comic that we read about was X-Men Alpha. The first thing I noticed was the relationship between Mr. Sinister and Cyclops, which I thought was extremely father-son. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It, it actually weirded me out how how much Cyclops needed Sinister's approval, I, and, it, and it was almost, it was literally like a child when Sinister said he was going away. Mm -hmm. That Cyclops was like, "What did I do wrong, Daddy?" Yeah, um, it was. It was like he was yeah. about to break out in Pink's family portrait. That song. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, that's what he would have sang. If there was a song that could encapsulate his feeling, it would be that song. 
Interesting I, reference. Thank you. So I, anyway, Landed I was. It. Thank you. So did anyone else think that spoke to a need for intimacy in a world that had no room for it? And if not, or if so, how did that particular relationship between Sinister and Cyclops strike you, Corey? Well, I mean, the crux of, of Age of Apocalypse is that we're seeing a world without Charles Xavier, right? And I think our Cyclops, the normal 616 Cyclops, is constantly looking for that father figure. And he was able to luckily find that at a younger age with Charles Xavier. And in this Age of Apocalypse, his father was still gone. And the next best thing he had since Xavier was dead was Sinister. And obviously Sinister is not nearly as nice of a guy as Charles Xavier. So Scott has to constantly look for this approval. And that's different from Scott's brother, Alex, because Alex is the younger brother, and he feels this competitiveness with Scott the entire time, while Scott is just searching for this father figure. I think he's like that regardless, though, of what kind of universe, or like what, I feel like regardless of his growing up experience, he was always going to be like that. Yeah, but don't you think it was exacerbated by the fact that there was such a lack of intimacy in this world because it wasn't allowed to exist, Marius? Yeah, I think that... Like, the fact that, as Corey mentioned, like, the competitiveness between, like, the Summers brothers, it's like, I mean, it's not like they get along perfectly in the 616 universe, but, yeah, it's definitely uh, taken to a whole other level in, in this universe, and I think that's one of the reasons, reasons like, why he would need that intimacy with, like, a father figure, because it's like, he has a part of his family with him, but it's more like his enemy, really. Right. It's very oh. Cain and Abel. Very. Chris, what were you going to say? I was going to say, it kind of <coughs> seems like a testament to, I guess, the Scott character that he needs to have a father figure where obviously 616, Charles Xavier gives him that attention where Sinister's kind of like the opposite where he's the distant father figure mm -hmm. so it makes him yearn for it. I just thought interesting testament to the character that I guess the character of Scott Summers no matter what reality he needs a dad, he needs a dad. yeah which I guess is interesting compared to when you look at other characters because when you look at other characters they don't always have that same type of crossing over consistency of uh, that particular you want to call it trait. So I remember being a kid, I'm reading this, and it was the first time I'd ever seen, at least. And I'm not sure if it's the first time it ever exists in X-Men comics. It might not be. There might be some shorter storyline of it, but it's definitely the most well-known, where we get to see Sabretooth as a good guy. And, of course, Blink had just died in the Phalanx Covenant, for those of people who were reading 90s X-Men. I was shocked by some aspects of the team. I didn't expect Rogue and Magneto to be a couple, uh -huh. even though they had flirted in the 616 continuity. But... What what kind of things were you shot by of the X-Men team? I mean, was it weird for you guys to see Sabretooth on the team now that you know he's been on the team since? Uh, and recently. For me, uh, no, not really. Just because so many comics are so many fucking... Nothing phases you, Chris. No, well... You're, you're, come a, on. you're a stone. There's so much shit that happens in comics that are so ridiculous where you're just like, what the fuck? There's, there's no more what the fuck factor. But don't it's you think this was the original what the fuck factor that had well, what the fuck? I, I think it back as a kid, like, I think Age of Apocalypse and maybe, like, a few other X-Men things were, like, the extent of what I really read. I kind of, like, stuck to Spider-Man and Daredevil and stuff like that. So I can't, I can't remember exactly what, if that what the fuck factor was there then. But what the fuck? factor was there for me do you know i didn't think i thought this was forever like i thought it was like a dc reboot that mm -hmm. comics were never going to go back to normal and then i got into it and i kind of liked it and then they switched it back and then comics started sucking after and then the whole onslaught thing started see that's the thing like i don't have a frame of reference like that because this is like the first time yep. i'm reading it right but you didn't think you, you didn't think it was weird knowing that some of those people are i mean it later? was it was 
like the Magneto and Rogue having a child thing, I was like, okay. That's weird. That would that felt uncomfortable. But like that I like, made me feel comfortable. But, but like I adapted to it, but I was like, okay, like that's fine, I suppose. That's a thing now. And then I mean Sabretooth, like I feel like I wanted him to come around for so long that I was like, Good, like you're there. But it was weird that he had such a close relationship with Blink. No, but I was saying that, Chris, because I'm I'm a big supporter of Rogue and Magneto. What? Why? I, I think that well, I happen to think they were a sexy couple in six one six when I was a little kid. Sexy, the dude's like sixty years old. Yeah, but now he wasn't drawn like it. <laughs> he yeah, he's drawn true. Like well, it. I, I haven't seen a comic character outside like maybe like Uncle Ben, who's actually drawn for his age and cool. like actual realness. Well, thank God, Uncle Ben was even, the leader of the X Men. Even, even looking like Captain America, old man Captain America, right now, the dude's like fucking ripped his shit like. Like ninety years old. Yeah, like nine ninety years old. The dude looks like he's a uh, better than like most male models. Like he I has muscles know. where they're yeah, not a, meant to be. To be he's fair, a super soldier. To be fair, he I lost think, that. To be fair, I don't think comic books have been reputable for portraying human oh, yeah, beings yeah, yes, anatomically yes, yes. correct. Yes, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm that's not, fair. Yeah. Yes, yeah. especially so in the nineties. Like, yeah, right. so it's like cool. That's a really ripped ninety-year-old yes, yes. man, and I'm, that woman has naturally e boobs like that. Stay up without a bra like no they don't yes yes mm-hmm. obviously comics are not very uh <laughs> realistic so you're saying i'm allowed to love magneto and rogue mostly magneto i mean i guess he looks like a 24 year old good except with the white hair you know some 24 year olds have white hair okay but if you were magneto's the age and there was a woman who was a, who was younger than you by how much rogue is younger than magneto and looked like rogue and you felt the same way about that person. And yeah, it was not, the apocalypse. I'm not dismissing that. It still is like weird. It's just, it's Magneto. Like that's. You know, I have so much sympathy for the people who are going to be listening to this podcast. Ex- <laughs> expecting in-depth discussion. Marius. <laughs> what did you think of the Magneto rogue coupling? Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I was shocked. But I was definitely surprised uh, about how like. About like the depth of their uh, relationship, about the fact that they already had a child and they called that child uh, Charles, and it's like what two years old, three years old. I'm I'm not sure, but you know, I'm kind of like as you said, I'm kind of perceiving that from like another perspective. I've been growing up with like the 2000 and 2010 X Men comics, so um, I'm definitely more used to like the alternate reality weirdness. Yeah. Sorry. No, I was I was agreeing with you because I keep forgetting that this was the really the beginning of that that we saw yeah, definitely. that alternate timelines could really work for for comics in I mean, this way. I mean, it's not like anything like that has ever been there before. So uh, I imagine like I can definitely get behind why uh, you would have been shocked as a kid, but like it's it's not that absurd if you've like read what's been uh, coming out lately. Right. So. Yeah. That's the Sabretooth actually- on the team and stuff now. Well, it's yeah. interesting that Mary has said that because it's like in terms of doing something more creative with characters that you love, but with a different storyline, this was like really well done with time travel. Time travel can be so dodgy Definitely. and you could mess it up so easily. And, you know, like hashtag Secret Wars, just, just like you can mess it up so easily because you're just like, I don't what like why is this happening but with this it's kind of like okay cool yeah hashtag battle of adam well since you guys brought up secret world (laughs) secret wars since you brought up secret wars hashtag secret um, war uh, because i didn't read it did anyone read the age of apocalypse secret war time now marius did 
how uh, did that relate to this one? Because it was completely different. Yeah, it definitely was completely different. Like Emma Frost was called Marvel Girl for some reason, and she was on like the first X Men team, and then she was married to Magneto, and uh, Rogue was kind of in love with Gambit, who kind of looked like his six one six counterpart, and is also dead. And I oh, don't even get me started on like all the other stuff. It's it's way different. Like uh, like in my reviews, I. I think I wrote that it was like a similar vibe to it and it kind of like artistically it could have been like from the 90s and it kind of did recreate what fans could have loved about Age of Apocalypse but yeah I mean it's like a totally different canon so mm. doesn't but, really cuz I know it, like some of the them they kind of kept it close so this was like nothing like this Age of Apocalypse at all yeah right hmm. that's correct bananas Corey, were you shocked by any of the people on the team roster for the X-Men? You know, thinking and hearing all these different answers, I realized that we're all kind of in the same boat here. That like, no, it's not shocking because things like this are almost the norm for comics. Yeah. Days, That's you know? true. Yeah. I mean, like, I can appreciate it, especially hearing you talk about it, how crazy it was back then, like to have Sabretooth of all people be a good guy. And like for me, while reading this, I actually really liked Sabretooth, like the way he took care of Blink and things like that. But, I mean, just for me reading it, no, nothing was really shocking. I was like, oh, this is neat. I could see that because, yeah, you guys have been so colored by what's been coming out lately. And there's been, I mean, House of M has happened. Um, uh, yeah. All the Secret Age War stuff has X, happened. A genocide X, every yeah. couple of years for X-Men. X-Men, the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to get shocked by anything if you've read, like, a storyline about Charles Xavier as, uh, like, a parallel universe Hitler. So... <laughs> That's yeah, that's true. that's true. And he's died like what, like twenty times since this too. Yeah, uh -huh. that's that's also true. Corey, did you weigh in on the? I don't know why I screamed that. Corey, did you weigh in on the? Um, <laughs> Corey, yeah, I don't know. Ah, like, oh, loud noises. Wake up! Yeah, it was it was crazy. Corey, where do you stand on the Magneto Rogue relationship? You love it, don't you? You hate it. You know, part of me really likes it, and I don't know why. Because I'm a huge Gambit fan, but I think the best part for me was, like, that weird love triangle they had going on. I like, love a good yeah. drama. I love a good you drama. You know what yeah, it the is? Drama, the drama was really good. And, yeah, it's weird, I guess, because he's old and she's young. But I honestly didn't really think about it that much. But it made sense to me that they that they got together. And I loved that they had a kid named Charles because Charles became like a big part of the story, like, you know, getting captured and then having to part. save him and it really raised the stakes. And I liked it in the end. I could see why people would think it was weird, though, maybe because of the age difference or something. I mean, she's like, what, in her early 20s or mid 20s at this point? I think early. I think. Uh, I, yeah. I'm assuming. With I that agree. ass, we have no idea. Am I right, guys? Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, no, literally, she's drawn like a muscular 25 year old, no matter how old she is, I feel. I mean, I'm not even sure I really have like a problem with the age difference. Me neither. I, I was mean, just going to say that. Like, what are we, ageists? Yeah, yeah. it's just me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, when I'm Magneto's age, I would like a rogue for myself. I would also couldn't like a handle rogue, a rogue at that if I oh. was that age. I couldn't handle a rogue now or a Magneto for that matter. Can I have both? Sure. I was just going to say that. Yeah. You guys, you guys oh my can God, both have both. One of you guys can <laughs> have getting married. One of you guys can have AOA Magneto and Rogue, and the other one can have six one six Magneto and Rogue. I want AOA. He's way more Jack. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Cool. All right. And one of you guys can get Joseph, his clone, who's like much nicer. 
Ew. Yeah, either way. <laughs> but you know, I have to say that this story was so much more emotional than I expected. And this is kind of what I'm talking about. That this isn't Claremont X-Men, but it's like it's written in the vein of Claremont X-Men in the sense that there's there's emotional things happening the whole time. And everything sort of means a lot to the characters emotionally. And I think that's what's kind of missing from mm-hmm. X-Men comics now a little bit. I know, Marius, you've heard me talk about that a lot. Corey, yeah. you not so much because we don't know each other as well. But <laughs> what, what do you guys think about that? That's yes. interesting. Yeah, that's accurate. I feel that way about comics in general, though, too. I don't want to be that guy, but it sounds super hipstery and shit like that. But unless you get like indie, more indie mm-hmm. writers yeah. and shit like that, yeah. more indie no, books, true. you get the you get that more heartfelt. And a lot of them, like the more mainstream, like X Men right now, like I love X Men, but right now most of the books suck. Like the only one, there's like maybe one or two of them actually. Like, oh, this is actually enjoyable. Like there's there's no heart to it. There's no soul. Yeah, I wouldn't say that that they I'm, suck, I'm but not- I think they're missing a little bit of. Of heart. What do you think, Marius? Sorry, Marius, then Corey? I'm not like 100% sure about that because there's been like a lot of amazingly written, very character like focused X Men books in like the 2010s and in the 21st century in general. Like, for example, what Brian Bendis did to uh, Cyclops, in general, what uh, writers did to Cyclops in the last 15 years. And I'm, I'm kind of positive on that. Uh, I think writers are gonna kind of try and bring back like the character drama and like the heartfelt dialogue. So um I'm I'm not too pessimistic about like the future of the X-Men books. Okay. I mean, going back to like just basically comparing the emotional stakes in this book compared to books these days, the biggest difference that I see is back then and specifically when AOA came out, the X-Men were very much a family and it was mm. clear who the bad guy was. These days it's you know they're all divided, half of them are with Cyclops. Half of them were Storm Wolverine, but they're still Magneto. Maybe he's a good guy sometimes and things like that. Everything these days is, in my opinion, really gray. What made the X-Men great was that black and white of, you know, this is the family. We are fighting together against this clear threat. Mm. I have to say, I do miss that family dynamic a little bit. I think it's still there, but it is fragmented. Marius, you would agree it's still there or no? I definitely agree it's still there. Like, it kind of depends on the situation. Like, mutants are definitely divided, but... uh, as we've seen in like the um, Rick Remender crossover thing that happened like two years ago with mm. the Red Onslaught. What was that again? Axis. Axis. Axis, right. Axis. Like in the first issue or something, when they were f- uh, fighting against uh, the Red Onslaught, uh, it was like one of the first moments where Nightcrawler and Scott would see each other like after Kurt came b- back from the death and like. Um, there was like a cute uh, little family reunion of the X-Men and they were like, yeah, we can say uh, sorry to each other at another point, but this is family business. Uh, like the X-Men will always be there for each other in uh, like extreme situations will always be a family. So, um, oh, I like yeah, that. I definitely, yeah, I definitely agree. It's, it's still there, but with all the conflict going on uh, between the characters, like the uh, ideological conflicts between the characters, I mean, it's definitely damaged. But I think that makes the X-Men interesting, actually. That's a good answer. Do you think that they're just at a different place in their relationships with, with one another and at a different place with in, in their storyline? Or do you think that 
there's something lacking from the creative team that they're not understanding the the sense of family. I would say that you probably disagree with that. What do you guys think? I think uh, it's the creative team. You do? You think they're not understanding it? Yeah. Versus I, they're at a different point in their story? I don't think it's that they're not understanding it. I think maybe they're not utilizing it. I think it's yeah, there. Yeah, that might be true, yeah. They're just not capitalizing on it. Like you, you get like inklings of it there. Like it's, oh, they're the family element story. But they're not capitalizing on it on purpose. I don't know if it's not on, maybe, I don't think it's, I don't want to say on purpose, because I don't feel like they're purposely going, no, we don't want to do this. It's more like. But to create drama. In the more, it's, more, it's more like a, an ignorant, like a lack of like seeing it, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's like, it's just not seeing they it. They just don't think it's important to yeah. drive the story, which is unfortunate. But like, it might also be, if it is purposeful, it's that they saw it happening for X-Men for a really long time. And they were like, let's try something new and make X-Men ours because we're a new creative team. And it's like, this is yeah. fine, but I don't like it mm. and there i'm sure there are people who do like it or who are being introduced to x-men right now because they have to think generationally as well they have to think about not just us or people who have been reading it for a while but people who are going to start reading it and they have to kind of make a judgment call on their own about that too i kind of agree there i think these days it's just a lot of wanting to try something new i mean i i really agree that they aren't utilizing it maybe they do realize it's there but in comics these days it's all about trying something new and what you can advertise and what flyers can get passed out in your comic book store like outing a character as homosexual is the newest thing you know mm -hmm. you know whatever will whatever will sell comic books at this point yeah there's a new number one every 10 issues yep exactly yeah. Exactly. Actually, Robert Kirkman, who writes Walking Dead and Invincible and Outcast, talked Outcast. about how DC and Marvel think, are kind of ruining comics by well, I think rebooting they, so much. Well, I think they also do that because what was once for our demographic a few years ago is for a different demographic now. And that demographic can't pay attention to anything for longer than like 20 minutes, which is an episode of something. Do you know what I mean? So they have to keep updating yeah. to catch up with people. So for us, clearly, obviously, it wouldn't resonate because we're like, I don't like this because it's not what I grew up with. But for them, I think it's different. Like, it probably does register. Marius? I think it's got, like, a lot to do with uh, the success of superhero movies, like uh, the MCU too, yeah. movies in general. Mm -hmm. It's like if you're going to see, like, say, Captain America on, on the screen for, on the big screen for the first time, you didn't know the character before. And like you kind of want to get behind how he's uh, like portrayed in the comics you want to pick up mm -hmm. a comic so uh, it's extremely convenient for you as like a new reader to get like a new number one issue even though it's not like a real number one issue it's obviously like, uh, like issue another 600 art, yeah. Of, uh, yeah 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 like over the course of um, the captain america history it's marketing really yeah true agreed mm -hmm. are you gonna say something chris no i'll say yeah and there, it's always very interesting that they always return or their their new their incarnation always returns around the time the movie comes out. Like isn't it interesting yeah. that old cap is coming back when but you Civil War them. just happens to come I'm not faulting them. Right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm just saying when you start seeing it, it's like stop with so much of the, the marketing aspect. Go back to it's an art form. It's not it's not marketing. Yeah, I agree with but, that. but the thing is, it's not an art form anymore, though. Which is well, that's, because which I'm saying that's the issue. Well, because like even if you even I'm arguing with my, like with what my previous point was about how it's for a different demographic, but this is like it like to fight that same point that I was making. It's interesting because I can't even think of children that you know like children that I work with who recognize Star Wars or anything from MCU 
just because they were into it. Like, it's usually like, I'm like, oh, like, how did you hear about it? And they're like, oh, I saw it on TV and my dad took me. So it's like, okay, so your dad likes, so your dad likes it. So but I do think we're being really harsh against Marvel, though. Because, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, oh, I, I love Marvel, especially over some of the shit that DC's been pulling lately. <laughs> DC's no, but I'm but not also right now. no, but also Marison. I, I know you guys are about this, but I also think you know I I don't want us to become the kind of people who are going to say oh you know this writer did a poor job with this or this artist did a poor job with that of course we don't know but i also think that you know we need to give credit to the fact that you know both at this time and back then you know marvel is owned by a holding company and you know in this case it's disney and they're the ones calling the shots and i think you can see how much the comic changed from 2008 till now and whether that change is positive or negative i would kind of disagree and say it's for the same demographic i would just say it's for a much wider demographic and that they're trying to include new new readers I don't think so. Why do you Why do you disagree? I think you Maria, might be sorry. you might be correct in and saying Corey. that it's for the same demographic, but it's just a different time period. So to me, that's a dem- different demographic. I said times have changed. What you're saying? Yeah. Uh, Marius then Corey. I was just gonna say that I think especially with uh, Old Cap as the example uh, of like Old Cap coming back now that uh, the Civil War movie is happening. I think it's a good example, but then on the other hand, it's not like they are not keeping the other Captain America, like the Sam Wilson Captain America. And uh, I think that, I mean, of course it's about marketing, but I did think that like the new Sam Wilson book uh, did kind of have like an interesting approach to it. And I think they're keeping that. So uh, all I want to say is that with like, the new generation and like broadened demographic there also comes like a lot of creativity and invention and like it doesn't always have to be negative and they're keeping that so i'm definitely like interested in what's coming Corey, what were you gonna say i just want to say that we are all lifelong comic fans right like we grew up with comics we are very well versed in comics and on that note there's there's almost two sides to this argument we should want things to service us in some ways we don't need to constantly be rebooted we don't need things to constantly change we need things to be good for what we like but at the same time i don't want to call it a little bit selfish but you know there are these movies coming out there is this massive new wave of interest in these characters and it's almost unfair for the people that want to get into comics for it to Mm. be that difficult and if Mm -hmm. we can make it that much easier to make comics that much more red then i think we we have to do that yeah right i agree i I think in some cases it's good for the medium as a whole but i think it's important to think about this yes or no did you guys have a strong emotional response to aspects of the story yes yes the age of apocalypse yes yes Corey. yes yep and mary is cool yeah are you getting the same sort of emotional nourishment from x-men comics now than you got at that time nope and then why why not Okay, you first, because you were the first one to answer. Well, to be fair, like, I'm not, you know, when I say nope, I mean in the realm of, within the realm of how caught up I am with X-Men. Like, the most recent was, like, the all-girls team of X-Men, which was only, like, in within the last five or ten years, I think. Last five years, yeah. Yeah. Less. And it was really good. I'm not saying it wasn't good, but I wasn't emotionally invested in it or anything. But it's interesting because, yeah, I just don't, I'm not emotionally invested, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's also about we as people growing up as well. So that's a fair assessment. Like the same things are not going to move me like they did five or ten years ago. But yeah, I don't know. It might just be exactly that. Just time. Corey, what about you? I recently read the hardcover of Bendis' Uncanny X-Men run from a couple of years ago. 
Right. And I really enjoyed it. Like, I gave it a good review. I thought it was a really fun book and a lot of new characters. But I think the thing, for me at least, with X-Men comics these days is that they've become less about fighting for each other, which I think Apocalypse really was. It really played up that family aspect. And these days, it's so much about fighting against each other. Everybody's pitted mm-hmm. against each other. There's constant backstabbing. There's so many different teams that have so many different goals. Whereas in Apocalypse, there were these different teams, but they were all fighting basically towards the same thing at the end of the day. I actually have a follow-up question to that, if I may. Well, let's let Marius answer first. Marius? Okay, sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, sure. I was going to say that I'm actually getting getting more emotional response by uh, some comics that have been released like in, in this century. For example, like uh, as I said, or as Justin mentioned, uh, I'm like a huge fan of the Dark Angel saga, which within like the X-Force run. And I can, w- w- well, without giving away the end of that story, um, I can definitely say that uh, I didn't ever get uh, that much emotional response to any comic book at all, or maybe Astonishing X-Men for that matter by Joss Whedon. And uh, I think that Jeff Lemire kind of, he kind of knows, or even Calvin Bunn, they kind of know like that the family and team aspect of the X-Men makes them strong, but Mm -hmm. the character drama, like the character dynamics within the team are important. And uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, with uh, Archangel and Psylocke on the new Uncanny X-Men book, I definitely see a lot of potential there. Um, also with Ileana and uh, her brother, but also Jean and Wolverine on the uh, Extraordinary X-Men book. So yeah, I'm really positive, actually. I think for me, and I, I kind of agree with, with everybody here, believe it or not. Marius, there's a lot of stuff from this century that I have really enjoyed. X-23, Innocence Lost, which you know we're going to do a podcast on soon. That's something that had a profound emotional impact on me. A lot of the sort of peripheral X-Men stories had a big effect on me. But I'm not sure that when we're talking about Magneto and Age of Apocalypse, there is a lot going on for this character. He's dealing with the death of his daughter. He's dealing with the the death of his you know long lost friend that that set him off on a different path in life. And we kind of see his struggle. We we he's cold, and and we see why he's cold at times. Mm-hmm. And and we see that you know deep down that he isn't that way. And I wish that I saw this level of complexity and and this sort of. I hate the word dichotomy because it's so much more than two sides, but multifaceted. Yeah, this multifaceted character, this three-dimensional character, I should say. Mm-hmm. I wish we saw more of that today, and I, and it feels a little bit more adult to me back then, even though other things felt more l- less adult. Well, did you read the most recent? I guess at Marvel Now, Magneto, whatever it's called. Did you I love that? that. I love. I'll that. say that's like the yeah. that would be the like the closest thing. Like that was like out of like I'm trying to th- I was as you're going through this question I'm trying to think like shit like what X-Men books have actually like impacted me emotionally I was like okay Magneto Deadpool surprisingly like Dugan and Posen have done like phenomenal like emotionally with that character but that's like about it but like the Magneto like three-dimensional like in that like one of the biggest things that hit me and the, the newest one was where he like keeps a wall of all like the dead mutants where he goes into his own little like um you want to call it metal cave or Magneto cave and it's like all these names of all the dead mutants where it he keeps track of everyone who's died because that's his he's he's an avenger he's the mutant avenger so that's like the closest thing to age of apocalypse where you have that type of emotional response specifically to magneto where you get like this guy's been through the holocaust and right after the holocaust he goes through a whole nother type of you want to call it holocaust again like just with a different um it goes from being the jews which is his cultural family to the mutants which is his genealogical family so that that's at least we're talking nowadays that's really like one of the only books i can think of again besides uh dugan and posing on deadpool that's elicited any sort of emotional response from me i have to say it was either ed brubacher or 
Matt Fraction who said the story of X-Men is the story of Cyclops when it will be said and done. But I think that reading Age of Apocalypse is definitely the story of Magneto. Oh, yes, definitely. Totally. 100%. Yeah, and, and, and I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I wanted to go back to something Mary has said, and I, I think arguably within since 2000, the two best X-Men stories for me at least are Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men and then The Dark Angel Saga that Remender yeah. uh, wrote. And I think what makes those books so great is that they did play up that family factor. And I don't think we have any books that, that still do that because we can pick out moments from those between the characters. There weren't there weren't gimmicky things like the Phoenix Force coming in and things like that. In Astonishing X-Men, you had these great moments between Cyclops and Emma and Kitty Pride, even Wolverine and Armor. And then in The Dark Angel Saga, I don't think I've ever been more heartbroken in a comic than between yeah. the stuff that happened between Angel and Psylocke. That was absolutely heartbreaking. And like I said, it's the things that interact between the characters that really affect us as we come to talk about. I think everything we've talked about so far is between the characters rather than what happens in the world around those characters. Yeah, I think note to if any yeah. X-Men scribes are, are listening to this, it's the interpersonal dynamics between the characters and the internal life of the three-dimensional characters that we all really respond to. Well, that I think is a, a testament to story itself. Yep. Um, if you watch Trey Parker and Matt Stone, they do this talk. I want to say it was NYU, it, but they did a talk at a college and they basically talked about story and how I think this is an issue with a lot of comics nowadays where it's they, they, when they when they go through plot, it's like, oh, well, this happened and then this happened and this happened and this happened where South Park creators just lost my train of thought. Trey Stone and Matt Parker, they talked about how plot should be. It should be like this happens and then this, but then this happens where there's a f- there's more of a flow between where there's there's interactions, there's characters. It's not mm-hmm. just, we're just going to throw in element. Character needs to push story, not plot, is really what it comes down to. And I think uh, the stories you just mentioned, that's why. That's why they're memorable. And I think the stories that end up being memorable always comes down to character. It never The plot always helps. Don't get me wrong. Like good plot is going to be helpful. But it always comes down to like, oh, I remember this moment because this character impacted me this way. Or this interaction between characters. Happen. Emotional response makes you remember things. Or plot. You can, you can make the most complicated plot in the world well that's why this story is like successful because even though it's really easy to complicate it mentally in your own way because there's like a lot of sub stories the main story is you have to like something happened in the past to change the future and now they have to fix the past to make that future right again like that's like the basic lines of the story beginning middle end like you can temporally shift anything but just in terms of writing that makes the most sense and visually and then all the sub stories and all the interactions between characters and the relationships like Chris was saying is what gives meat to all that like it's throwing them in there into this world that's like okay so how are they going to get through this I might also argue that one of the super objectives of the story is Magneto's quest to achieve his dream which is mutant and human Charles's dream too. Yeah, yes. yeah. Well, it's not Magneto's dream, I don't think. Yeah. But no, I think it, 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 it I think is, in, it is, in Age of Apocalypse, it is. I well, think. I, I even think Only even because in, of Charles, though. Oh yeah, because of Charles. But but yeah. but my point is sorry to, sorry to interrupt. But no, but my point is that to me that's the driving force. It's the story is is when you boil it down to the essence. And feel free to disagree with me here. That when you boil the story down to its essentials, that it's a story of a man in this case Magneto who is trying to achieve this goal and gets a little bit further at the end in this really bittersweet ending. And I guess do do you agree or, or do you disagree? No, I do. But I think part of it is also because he wants to absolve the guilt of watching Charles die. 
Oh, I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that we'll get into. I think that's why it makes this like the whole story so poignant is because it is like ultimately a selfless act and ultimately a selfless deed that he wants to bring humans and mutants together. But there's also a very dark part of him that we all know exists because in the regular universe it exists. It, there's a dark part of him that you recognize as you're reading this alternate universe where you're just like, yeah, but you're just you just feel guilty and you want to make yourself feel better. And you know that, too. And you're just kind of like watching him struggle with that. So that's what makes it poignant. And I don't know what I was going with that. I think that was just. No, I I think that's a really good point. Marius. I think that most of why Magneto is trying to achieve Charles's dream is because he's kind of not only because he's feeling guilty because he was watching him die, but also because he's kind of full of fear of, well, eventually uh, disappointing his best friend. So I kind Mm -hmm. of feel like i mean he's like getting older in this post-apocalyptic uh, apocalyptic world and like in north america basically everything's like up and uh, it couldn't be further from charles's dream of uh, mutant and human coexistence so he's kind of fearing that he would disappoint his best friend and i think he's uh, also idealizing him because he totally. died at that point. So uh, he's really looking looking up to him. He's saying he's like the best man I've ever met. And he was just such a peaceful person. And by ideal, idealizing him, I think that it sounds harsh, but I think that Charles had to die in order for Magneto to uh, want to achieve his dream. It's almost like for Magneto to be Magneto, Charles had to sacrifice himself. Corey? I think that is an awesome driving factor for this entire story. The fact that it's not, Charles has a very noble dream. He wants to make the world peaceful. But considering that we all know Charles and what kind of a man he is, and the fact that Magneto is doing this just because he loves his friends so much is a really honorable goal. And it's something we can really get behind that's something different. It's more than just wanting the world to be a better place because that in itself is great. But that driving factor of a friend and friendship and loyalty is something that's really interesting for this story. Agreed. Okay. Definitely. I guess just to add on to what everyone's saying about that, I thought it was interesting because I, at least for me, I recognize Magneto in just standard Marvel Universe to be kind of this very aggressive and militant leader. And not to say that that, none of that was present in Age of Apocalypse necessarily. That definitely was present. But I feel like it was so interesting to see him be put in the position that Charles is usually put in because he, even though his personality is one to be, you know, kind of a harsh leader or a little bit more, you know, aggressive, he still had to play this defensive role against Apocalypse too, which is weird because we normally see Magneto as like an offensive or like an, you know, like an on like on the offense of a storyline. And it's interesting to see that kind of character play a more like defensive role, you know, like we have to achieve this, but we also have to protect this and then he actually makes his own family like an actual family too so that's you know marius but uh, i definitely think that his like aggressive leadership as uh, you uh, put it, it it's kind of showing in the way that he's training the x-men i feel like it's more more militant than charles would have trained the x-men but it's not because that's what he's like as a character but it's in at least in this situation it's just because he feels like he needs to in order to prepare them for uh this uh, world so it's definitely interesting to see him in that position and uh to see him like act differently from how charles would lead the x-men 
So one thing we always have to talk about at Comics First, as Chris pointed out, is the Comics First podcast. We are in my apartment, which is also our Comics First offices. Jean Grey, the patron saint of this house. She is the um, the Gaia of this earth. Well, they didn't hear that conversation because it was off the record. That's I know, but why, now I just, that's why he said, as he said. I'm sorry. He's was All right, I'm going to go back to my corner. Sorry. Yeah, um, lie back down. I do have a quick interjectory thing that has nothing to do with anything, but I was reading that the dogs at the O.J. Simpson trial, they couldn't, they were just saying, wait, <laughs> get this, get this. They were just saying that the dogs in the O.J. Simpson trial, they couldn't use the fact, no, 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 it was Kaylee Anthony because the dog smelled like a dead body in her, her car, in her trunk, but the judge said that they couldn't take admissible evidence from the dogs because it would be hearsay because the dogs are just isn't that funny because they're fucking dogs and it's hearsay thank you marco gets it i mean I, like I, that I, is hearsay it's like no that is a dog like <laughs> that would be my response it's completely over my head right now i mean I, it's so not even over my head i understood it it's just not funny sorry i find that to be very odd marco is cracking up and so is maria so i'll take two out of five thanks marco is confused <laughs> marco gets it no he's the only one who understands me he's like he's like Mr. Sinister to my Cyclops. Okay, well, Marco's going to have to explain it to me later. He totally will. Okay, so anyway, back to patron saints and Jean Grey being the Gaia of this earth. Yes. Kay, you had some interesting things to say about her character earlier. You were never a big Jean Grey fan. You're definitely hashtag Team Emma Frost. Well, yeah, but that has nothing to do with it. I just think Jean's boring. Did you think she was boring in this? Yes. I thought you didn't. I thought she was fine by herself, which was almost never. And when she was with people, I'm like, wow, you're super annoying. Does anyone have a less flattering opinion of Jean Grey? I doubt it. Does anyone have a more flattering opinion of Jean okay, Grey? Okay, well, I'm also the only chick, though. I feel like most no, dudes like her. I like Jean uh, Grey a lot. I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm, no, indif I'm indifferent. Corey doesn't like Jean Grey. I am definitely hashtag team Emma Frost. Okay. Um, Marius, will you save me? Will you be? I'm, I'm, I'm equal. I'm equal parts Jean Grey and Emma Frost. What about uh, you, Marius? Well, I don't know. It depends. It's not my favorite character, but... It's like I don't hate her. I I kind of feel indifferent about her. I guess. Yeah. But team indifferent. Wow. Hashtag but, team indifferent. I feel. Well, I feel. At least in some of her like incarnations. Her. But I don't feel. I feel. I feel a lovingly a loving bond with her. Like, I, I happen why? to because she's. I don't know. She reminds me of myself in that she's completely obsessed with how she's doing and makes everything about her and then dies. That's nothing to do. That's nothing like you. Are you impending your doom already? Yeah. Count down the okay, days. Okay, well, you're alive, one. Uh, you don't make everything about yourself. If anything, you actively make everything about other people. But mentally, maybe? I don't know. I don't know what your mind's like. I'm not... Mentally... I mean, um, you I might relate know. to her. Not Professor X. Well, we relate to her because... I relate to her because she's from Annandale on Hudson, Rockland County, New York. I'm from Westchester County, New York. I relate to her because <laughs> she was in a mental insane asylum, and I drove by one. <laughs> There's, you are there's both so smoking many, hot redheads. There's so yeah. many parallels. It's yeah. <laughs> Look at Marius. <laughs> <laughs> he can't contain himself. The comparison is uncanny. Ah, <laughs> uh, pun. Talking about X-Men, she said uncanny. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we're alike in many ways. We're the same dress size. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't even form my thought right now. And neither of us would have anal sex with Cyclops, which is why he left us for Emma. Did she actually let him do it, or was it a mental projection that he thought? He both, probably. Who, Emma? Both, yeah. both, no, Emma let him both. do it, for real. Yeah, for sure. I feel like she did it to him, not the other way around. No. no. I definitely feel no, like that's Emma, the whole point. That Emma had just given and taken anal, let's be honest. Okay. He would have just let Jean Grey do it. 
do it. Jean Grey would like want to, but then no, pretend like, to be all coy about it. I feel like she wouldn't be about that life. No, she would be, but she'd be coy about it. Apparently, so you're like, wow, you're Dark a little Phoenix liar. Saga. No, we're not like, talking ooh, Dark Phoenix. I don't know we're what talking you're talking regular Phoenix. about. I've never or done this before. Expertly <laughs> inserts digits. Like the thing is, she would do it <laughs> just with Wolverine and not him. Yeah, no, Wolverine. No. She, she would do she it for Wolverine. Wolverine. Right. I, I definitely, yeah. Lo- yeah Logan can get that all day. Well, yeah, because he's she wouldn't like have a choice. Secret. She wouldn't have a choice. He would just. Well, that that was just turned her right. He would just turn her on. <laughs> no, he would just turn her on in the moment. She would just have to do it. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we, we, we made we we made Marius say holy shit. I know it's pretty uh it's pretty intense. It's getting really hot up in here. It's getting hot up. In here, so this one um, so off the rails. This is this one like a whole yeah, nother county. Anal okay. sex, just it's fine. At least go to genocide. No. Always goes to genocide. Okay, Chris, that was a million years ago. We were on episode seventy. That was episode. <laughs> well, that 45. was like the last time I was here. All right, the people there's so who, much the people who were last, the people who last listened to that episode are now long dead. Um, <laughs> no, no, just kidding. We love you, whoever you are. One person. Yeah. <laughs> that listens to it fifty times. <laughs> Like we have thirty thousand listeners. What we also didn't tell you is that they're all the same person. Just click. click they're all my mom. Click. No, just kidding. It's definitely not my mom because she couldn't give too fuck about what I'm doing. Um, I relate. That's just real. That's just real. Okay, can someone please? T- I can't believe you guys are such Jean Grey haters. You guys, are I just me and Mary. Pretty- hold on, me and Mary are not haters. You're We're indifferent. indifferent. Yeah, but yeah. okay, get, get it right. Okay, so what's? I mean, didn't, I I thought it was interesting to see her relationship with Weapon X Wolverine. Oh, I was all about that. I would. It's, sh- it's called shipping, right? When you, you yeah, like, you okay. ship it. I I've yeah. always been a shipper of Logan Jean Grey. Right, so what did you think so of their relationship? Right. What did you think? <laughs> what did, What did you think of their relationship? Uh, it was. It didn't come across like the way the way I like it in the regular 616 where it's more like natural this was kind of like like I think like the thing there's like between like three or four panels Wolverine said darling like fucking like 50 times I was like all right dude like pull back a little bit like it was too like lovey it wasn't Wolverine and Jean Grey it was like too lovey-dovey where I felt like they could still be lovers or partners or married because them. they already got the the hate sex out of the way. I mean, that's what, what I didn't like about it. You wanted to see that part happen. No, no they, I didn't have to see it. I, it's it's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then Marius blows his nose. That's like the perfect response. <laughs> I'm just, but Oh, I thought. I'm sorry. I don't. I, I completely lost my thought. After that's that all right. One. No one was listening no anyway. Marius or no, Corey? To, do you guys have? I'm oh, sorry. What? I have to finish my thought. What? Who had a thought? I have to finish my thought. Oh, you have to finish your thought. Yeah, okay. To add on to this because we were talking about it before. Oh yes, finish your thought. It's similarly how to how I feel like to how I feel about Spike and Buffy getting together on Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the sense that you want to ship them so hard and you want them to get together but when they actually do you're like ew like I don't need to see they this. They still could just spoilers. in this way not so like lovey hashtag spoilers hashtag spoilers There's or a so show that came out 16 years ago 16 <laughs> years ago I can't speak English alright alright focus I'm uh, focused I'm talking about me that was my, f- All right, my focus go I'm, go So you got this <laughs> <laughs> stop. So stop 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 focus okay so it's not so much that i dislike them together it's that i felt like it, they were just forcing it so like i said between like three or four like panels all is wolverine saying darling darling it's like okay we get it like you guys are together like you guys can still like be partners and and fuck each other but like pull it back on like the lovey shit like, okay but what about the fact that we're exploring how these two characters 
develop into a relationship oh, well, this long. I mean, that, that don't you think cool. it explores like a different side of Jean Grey? Oh, yes, side yes. Of Wolverine? And yes, that that was all cool. Like Wolverine when he had the point, really? Yeah. Versus the shipping thing? I don't know. I mean, I feel like in every entertainment series, somebody ships something and like that becomes like a big part of like the series. Like no, like sitcom, comics, any so, yeah, like sci-fi, like any type of medium. You're there's some type of like entertainment. It's an entertainment thing that you just enjoy doing. Okay, so I, I think the better question to this is: Did we learn new things about Jean Grey and Wolverine that we would not have seen in the six one six continuity? Totally. By seeing them in this type of relationship. Yeah, I yeah. thought I thought there was like some cool character growth. Wolverine. Oh, cool. Jean, so, okay. Jean Grey again. And we're such so, we're so harsh though. We're just saying everything sucks, and then when we I ask never, another question, we're like, oh, it's actually pretty great. I never said anything sucks. Okay, so I'm okay, very happy. So with your it. answer is yes. Kay, what's your answer? You have to be more specific. Like, what it like. What did you did you make any conclusions about the fact that they were able to explore Wolverine and Jean oh, Grey? I mean, I don't think that relationship like this. Like in terms of storytelling, I thought it was super interesting. Like I thought that it was a really interesting take on, you know, exactly what it is, which is an alternate universe where they would, you know, have the um wherewithal to kind of explore their love for each other, which is or like, you know, whatever was there between them. And they become slightly different people. But that's the thing. That's why I was like, I kind I kind of was okay with Wolverine being so affectionate because I was like, cool, this is a different side of Wolverine that I could kind of believe and it's annoying. But sure, this is how you are when you're lovey dovey. Yeah, when he gets the love but of then, his life. Yeah, but then that's why I was like, Gene, you just act the same across the board forever yes. like it doesn't even matter who you're with that's why you're a wet blanket and when people say like wow well because no because no you just read no, jean gray no because when you're they say because well, to me i would much rather hate a character than say oh like i'm indifferent about her like that's like such an but you don't you don't think she, you think she was a wet blanket during the morrison run as well when she like did, kicked all those people's asses no she's good at what she does but in terms of like I don't know, like the way everyone says, oh. And the she most- was basically the one taking care of Wolverine the whole time in this one. Right, but why Why is her most memorable? I'm not saying that she was bad for Wolverine. I right. think that it's really interesting, their dyna- dynamic like that. That in a way she was like, I'm sorry, Magneto, I have to go with right. him because he's the one who needs me right now. That totally get. That was like the first and maybe the only time where I was like, oh, you have a soul? Like you have a personality at all and you do things? Cool. Awesome. You're going to do that. And like. Otherwise, it's kind of just the way everyone, or not everyone, but everyone here is kind of like, oh, yeah, like she's neutral and she doesn't really bother me. I feel like that's why I don't like her. I would say during this era to me, she's not a very polarizing character. I would just say for me during this this era that she's so much more defined by who she's in a relationship with. She's much more defined by Cyclops versus Cyclops being defined by her, very much defined by Wolverine in the series. You, yeah. you disagree? I, I feel yeah. like I feel like her and Cyclops define each other, not so much Wolverine. Wolverine's always kind of been like off just doing his but what thing. What about in AOA, I mean? But well, even in this, like they still had that like weird moment where they're like Cyclops is helping her and it's like, "Oh, I felt I don't know if it was her or him who said it, but one of them said like, "Oh, I felt like in I a different like connection." Yeah, connection yeah. in a different so lifetime. Annoying. So even then you're still getting the Cyclops Jean Grey. Even in an alternate universe, they're somehow connected like they're because they they love They each constantly other. define each other as characters. Like cuz I I'm not I know Corey, you're a Cyclops fan, right? I am not. I, I am. I'm, I don't like Cyclops. So is Marius, and so am I. I'm, I'm not a Cyclops fan. <laughs> Why are you seeing Corey out? Oh, because uh, I heard him say it earlier. Okay. Well, so. he was wearing the Cyclops, Cyclops glasses. Oh, yeah, 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 yes, yes. So I'm not a Cyclops fan. I find him to be a. 
boring, bland, annoying character. But I feel like him and Jean Grey kind of like define each other. But that's not a. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But I feel like as they're almost like like uh, cloak and dagger, like they're a package deal. Like they they come together as right. you want to call. It. That's actually really Stuff interesting because that would that would read into. That would read into kind of how I feel that I like Jean and Cyclops separately, but as soon as they become an entity together, it's super annoying to me. But I understand why other people would be down for that. Uh, uh, Marius. Uh, I yeah, I kind of feel like that, uh, like in the 21st century, after all the Age of Apocalypse stuff, but also like after the um, Grant Morrison run, it's actually been like a different light kind of cast on the uh, relationship between Cyclops and Jean Grey. Because essentially, when Brian Michael Bendis got like the original five X-Men into the present, uh, like all the character arc of those characters was about trying to avoid their future. And in the case of Jean Grey and Cyclops kind of trying to avoid their horrible future with each other because it's not going to work out and uh, she's going to die and he's going to cheat on her with Emma. So I think that lately, I think that trying to cast like a more, I don't know, vastly different light on the uh, relationship between those two characters so um i do think that you know both gene and cyclops work pretty good as independent characters and you know i kind of feel like in the case of uh, age of apocalypse gene she kind of gets interesting like in the in the modern takes like uh especially in the x-force run where she's basically kind of, I, I think her relationship between, uh, well, the relationship between her and Wolverine or Weapon X is really natural. And uh, she actually encounters like the 616 Wolverine and they like get along with each other like instantly because they've kind of got like a really good understanding for each other's emotions. But then again, she leaves him because she's wanting to save his universe and uh, she's wanting to stay with her husband with Weapon X who's also like Apocalypse at that point. It gets a little com complicated, but all I want to say that is, yeah, I do feel that compared to 616 Jean, I feel like her relationship with the different logs is like a lot more natural and she's getting interesting at some point later. So, yeah. Corey? I have been struggling for the past like 15 minutes to find a decent analogy for my thoughts on this and I may have stumbled on it. So, let's say... I'm a younger kid and I go to the movie theaters to see James Bond and I see how awesome Daniel Craig is. And then I get home and tell my dad about it and he's like, oh, we should check out Sean Connery. When I was a kid, Sean Connery was the best. And I go and watch a Sean Connery movie and it is so boring and so bland and so outdated and all I hear about is how so many old people love him. I don't get it. So I just go back and watch more Daniel Craig. That's how I feel about Jean Grey. It's like I found Emma. I think this plays into it, too. I found Emma Frost when I got into comics because I'm a young comic book reader. Right. And so when doing more research, all these people talk about how awesome Jean Grey was. Everybody references Jean Grey, blah, blah, blah. So I go back and I read Jean Grey and I'm like, she's kind of uninteresting. You know, I don't see what the big deal is. So I just keep reading what's going on today. And that's how I currently feel about Jean Grey. However, in Age of Apocalypse, yeah, it was a different Jean Grey. And there were some interesting things that happened, especially between her and Logan. But at the end of the day, to me, it was still Jean Grey. And I found it. I don't know if I'm uninteresting is too harsh of a word but not as exciting agreed I would just say for me that all three characters uplift each other and, and the interpersonal dynamics between all three of them is what makes me like them you know I think I do like Jean Grey a lot because you know, when I was younger Dark Phoenix Saga was the first event that I read and here's this woman who gives up 
you know, being a god and decides to die as a human being. And, you know, later she comes back and, you know, throughout her history, she's had this whole rivalry with Emma Frost that, you know, culminates in her having an affair with her husband and having sex with him for the first time on her grave at her funeral. You know, things that happen in X-Men. Um, also, things yep. that happened to me last Saturday. Um, Hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> Same. But, Right, yeah, definitely. Marius, it happened today for you, just admit it. Yeah. Uh, we all know that that's true. But that's sort of what I think she Cray holds. And I have to say that there was a lot of elements to her that were, she was sort of stable for me. She was very similar in both universes. I know in X-Men Chronicles 2, when she leaves Magneto, and she leaves that team of X-Men, and she goes along with Wolverine, she says, sorry, Magneto, I'm not leaving because of you. I actually agree with you. It's just that Logan needs me more than the team right now. And I kind of, you know, I, I saw Jean Grey in that moment, if that makes any sense. Oh, uh, before we move on, I kind of wanted to piggyback off of something Mary said. Sure. About like the newest, like an all new X Men, the whole thing with Jean Grey and uh, Cyclops. Like, oh, we don't want to do this because we don't want to follow the same fated path. I feel like that's like a like a really big thing just as in comics as a whole right now. Because if you look at it, Mary Jane and Peter Parker nothing to do with each other. Like Mary Jane's like, oh, I want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to date. Uh, Superman, Lois Lane. Nope. Wonder Woman and Trevor, I forget his last name. Nope. They won't have anything to do with Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor. Uh, so I had the opposite way. So Steve Trevor, Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor. None of that. Jean Grey and Cyclops. None of that. Like, I don't know if that's yeah. like, it's just like a really big theme right now to take the, you want to call it the old guard or the old relationships that people are used to and be like, nah, fuck that like they don't want anything to do with each other and another thing broken gambit to kitty and colossus yeah and that like so like just in general they're just kind of like no f that we're, we're gonna do something else which is weird for a lot of those characters well, I think it does make sense though in a, in a way don't you think Cause especially if you're a writer and well I, I would say especially if you're on the creative team in general and if you're a fan as well, at some point you want to kind of explore this other side to the character. I mean, we see a, the Cyclops with Emma Frost is a very different Cyclops than we see with Jean Grey. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, even since we're talking about Logan and Jean Grey, like an ex it's Extraordinary X-Men where old man Logan and Jean Grey, uh, young Jean Grey are in, correct? That team. So, uh, yeah, Extraordinary X-Men. That's more like a, almost like a parent-daughter situation. Like this situation is obviously lovers. In that situation, it's like uh, Logan's old as shit and she's teenager like not control her power that was like a, a parental like he's trying to like teach her and be like oh i remember you like i want to take care of you like a daughter type of thing which is really interesting considering like if you talk, to look at that like the realistic effect like if you took your older self and you took say any like romantic interest you had and, and met them when they were younger right. and you treat them like a daughter like that's almost like it's, it's 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 interesting especially since we're talking about this relationship in particular look at what they're doing with that now where again old man logan since you can't call him really like just Logan, it's like old man Logan that it's like a dad to her, like another Freudian complex thing there. Like, <laughs> yeah, Oedipus complex. Yes, yes, Oedipus yeah. complex. No, totally. Oh, Marius wants to talk. Oh, Marius. Uh, I can feel like there, and I've been comparing them a lot lately. Like, I kind of feel like the relationship between time displaced uh, Jean Grey and Old Man Logan is kind of like uh, the relationship between 616 Wolverine and Hope was like hope summers right it was kind of it was kind of like um, even though it was the other way around like hope was kind of dependent on wolverine like in case she would become the phoenix uh she would like establish like the phoenix powers and uh really 
up. She was kind of dependent on him to hold her back and that uh, gave her like a lot of stability and uh, you know also understanding for each other and I kind of feel like that's what's happening with Jingwei and Logan like he's kind of fearing to lose control due to uh, what he experienced so uh, he needs someone he can trust who could hold him back and it's got like yeah but also like a parental thing about it I'm, I'm really enjoying that it's definitely interesting for them to explore their relationship in this other way that they're doing now, which is also yeah. like an alternate timeline Cause well, so, or a new timeline kind of thing. Because someone, I think it was a recent issue. Someone like was trying to hit on her or she read uh, their mind and they had some type of like dirty sexual thought about her. And he just kind of like, Logan just kind of looked at him and was like, yo, back the fuck off right. to whoever, Globe whoever Herman, it was. Right? What was that? Yeah, a Globe Herman. Yes, yes. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> I feel bad for that guy. That was a funny moment, but I felt bad yeah. for him. No, I mean, well, yeah. You don't want to be that guy who's having that thought, getting <laughs> caught and looking like a glob. Yeah, Herman. well, uh, unfortunately, you know, guys are going to think that, especially if the women look the way they do in comics. It's like you're, you're going to have those thoughts. So when people are invading those private moments of yours, can't have can't be mad about I will that. Say that's a that private moment. At any time during, uh, at any point during the day, if someone was invading my private thoughts, they would be horrified at what. That's they exactly that's what I'm and saying. And it doesn't matter who is standing in front of me or not. <laughs> that well, that that's my point. So like, it'd be that's... scarier when I'm alone. Actually, oh well, I don't, don't want to know what you think when you're alone. I don't. I don't want to tell you. Oh well. Guess what? We're in agreement. Hashtag peace. You have to let go of the hashtag thing, Chris. <laughs> hashtag. You're, you keep, Chris. If you if there was a theme with you today, be hanging on to things that happened a long time ago. <laughs> wow. Okay. You know what? I'm gonna stay in my corner. <laughs> Marco, love that. <laughs> Marco, yeah, it's called a truth bomb, and that's why he enjoys them. Yeah, he enjoy a man. He's a man who enjoys hearing the truth. Words hurt, Mic you know. Drop. Words hurt. Words do not hurt. Words I was hurt. so much. I'm gonna go my safe space. Your safe space. Yeah. Safe. Safe, safe. I got a lisp. Safe space. <laughs> safe space. I never heard. Okay, cool. Anyway, moving on. Um, How'd you go to one of those speech classes. You sound like you know. Right now, I feel like you're. Space. Right now, I feel like Legion is more sane than you are. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, moving on. You're welcome. So um, moving on to Magneto, who we want to talk about again. So I'm going to answer my question after I ask it, which is. <laughs> Okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> well, no, I, because I, I think it will lead to further discussion. My answer. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> just, just just claiming what's going to happen, just in case that so everyone's aware. Our audience needs to be prepped for my answer. So moving forward with that, you bracing yourself? No, I'm reading. <laughs> By you, gay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So moving forward with that, Xavier and Magneto are obviously we talked we touched upon this in the last segment. Very, very, very different teachers. The part that. I noticed that when we say we're really different, Kay is literally bracing herself now for my response. The part that I noticed that was really different is when Magneto jumped down. He's like, these are my X-Men. I'm going to fight with them. Versus, you know, Xavier, let's be honest, he's in a wheelchair. He can't just jump down. No, but he could. But, like, couldn't he, like, you know, drive his way onto the conversations where... Cut that. (laughs) Can he... (laughs) Sorry, I just... Once I said drive, I was like, that's not the appropriate word. Sorry. Okay, can't he figure out a way to be with the team in the field more? You get it. I can only do it. Why has he never got an? This is a serious question. Why the fuck? Because Xavier, of all the technology that is in the Marvel 616 universe, why has he never got 
like some type of Iron Man. I understand like he physically can't walk because of his powers, right? That's that was that's the current reason he can't walk. Why has he never got like a like Iron Man suit? He never got Tony Stark to be like, hey, make me these mobile robot legs and because fucking maybe, let me walk. Well, because maybe he's busy doing things with his side powers. He d- he doesn't even have. He can just be like, hey, Tony, I'm gonna put this thought in you for a second. Make me some fucking legs. Yeah. Okay. I like, don't know. and then and then he can go into battles with the X Men, like because Magneto. he doesn't want to go into battles with them, which is kind of my so point. So he's a bitch. I I don't like Xavier. No, I think Xavier, I, I would, I'm no, Team Magneto. Uh, what do you say? Hashtag Team Magneto. Hashtag. Well, are, are we holding on to old things? I guess it came back. I, yeah. I okay. have an answer. I think it's because Xavier. Not to say that if we're going to go with the idea that Xavier and Magneto are different leaders, not so much whether they're better or worse from each other. But if they're different leaders, Magneto's very like, oh, I'm the leader that's hands on and I want to be there in like the trenches with my team. And Xavier's more like, you know, not in a bad way. This is it's sometimes really effective. No, he leads, way, but he leads from behind. He's much more like he's a bitch. No, he's just bossy. Like he likes being bossy. Like that's the thing. Bitch, some people, bitch, bitch, some, bitch, some bitch. people just like being bossy, and they just like being like, okay, do this now. And since he's like in their heads the whole time, they can he can literally be like, do this now, and they will. It's like a control <laughs> freak thing. Okay. I think. No, I mean, I don't. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. I think there's there could be a lot of reasons. Mary, yes, Corey, do you guys have anything to add about Xavier and the wheels, Corey? I I just think that they're very different kinds of leaders, and obviously Xavier is set back because he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, I can't believe we spent 45 minutes discussing that. Actually, there's 20 seconds. <laughs> there's. I don't know. They have different power sets too. What is Xavier going to do in the field besides get in the way? He might as well stay safe. Yeah, but he know? might be able to see like he might be able to be like you. He might be able to like shoot like a cybolt at them or something. A, a what? A cybolt. Oh, a cybolt. Okay. Well, isn't like sometimes maybe his astral projection can be there and he can see things and control things with his mind. I mean, we saw an AOA. His astral projection can go out and right. be different places. I, you know, if I was on the X Men team, I would sit him down and be like, Professor Xavier. I don't mean to sound rude or unappreciative, but I just want to say thank you for providing me with your astral self when I'm in battle. I feel really comfortable knowing that you're there, but I kind of need you there. They there. actually did something similar to that. Um, I forget the comedian's name, but he did this whole like it was basically like meetings between uh Professor X, who the comedian played, and other it was Pete X-Men. Holmes. Yes, Pete Holmes. That thank you. And he actually, I think he mentioned I've something like that. that. Yeah, and I, they kind of talked about like him being a wheelchair, and not being able to do shit. Okay, yeah, we're focusing on the okay, wheelchair, be, but I meant to be to, fair. Yeah. Why are you okay? To be fair, you would want a handicapped person to only contribute as much as they possibly can. Yeah, but this is this this yeah, is he comics though. Can, even okay, let's just comics. No, just get over the fact that he's in a wheelchair. He could still do more. He chooses not to. He's yeah, he's one of he the He thinks most, he's more useful behind. But on. I want to see him like be like be a king, dude. Is but jump, does, I don't know what that's that that saying, but jump into Isn't he top 3 psychic in the entire Top uh, one, top one, top one. I didn't, top I didn't one, know if there yes. was. Okay, so top one. He's so the, the number one psychically powered individual in the entire Marvel universe, and you can't go into battle like you can't figure out some way to do something useful. besides send your astral projection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah besides this sending, like your... he's probably sending his astral projection like eating M and M's at home. <laughs> You know, he's just like not. Nah. He's phoning it in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good, good job, guys. I know he died. And that yeah. guy over He'd be there like, I was bleeding. totally yeah. instrumental in that. 
Yeah. He, yeah. When I was he lost, watching, he lost his arm. He's uh, bleeding out over there. Right. That person, uh, they may be alive. I don't know, but I'm here eating M&Ms. Right. Wait, what's right. the point of this? Though? I'm eating M&Ms, and meanwhile, I'm also masturbating to Jean Grey's <laughs> thoughts because I go inside <laughs> people's minds and pretend like I don't until the 2015s. The whole point of this is I to discuss like, about I feel their like different. Emma Frost uh, thoughts would be more interesting. Uh, okay. I mean, sure, but she's not there. We have to work with people who are there, Chris. <laughs> So, you know, you have to you have to work with what you're given. Okay, it's like so done right now. Okay. So, basically what we noticed about the difference between how Xavier and Magneto teaches that Xavier's in a wheelchair, that's real deep. So, <laughs> in X-Men Chronicles, I'm so glad we could get to that point and discussion to not get past the wheelchair for 45 minutes. Like we just, we were like obsessed. We like could not see past Dude, it. it <laughs> I meant like I meant like intellectually, but whatever. But I'm with you. I mean, whatever. I did tell a whole story where I had like a fake discussion with him. But either way, when we go back to Magneto now, and the whole point was that for my my answer to, to bring on further discussion, you guys just hung up to the, on the wheelchair thing. But seriously, I do want to mention that it's cool that he wanted to jump down and be with his team. Either way. Scarlet Witch, she's killed in X-Men Chronicles 1 around the time when the X-Men are first starting out. She tells Rogue, take care of Magneto for me. Rogue and Magneto end up in a relationship. He's the only one who can touch her. Of course, as we talked about earlier, they have a kid together named Charles because, you know, they're the only ones who can have physical contact to do the things that, the types of things that make babies. But do you think that Wanda carried a, her that her death was felt a lot throughout the comics because she dies in in x-men chronicles 2 did her death have it obviously didn't have as much of an impact on them as charles xavier's death but what sort of impact did scarlet witch's death have on magneto Corey? i'm gonna say it barely did at all because i'm not gonna lie i don't know if i got out of order when i was reading but i read x-men chronicles like at the end and when i got to that point i was like oh wow yeah i guess wanda hasn't been in this story at all like, it may have been right. referenced once or twice, but not on the same level as Magneto kept hammering in the fact that Charles was dead. Mm-hmm. I agree. And also, Magneto gets a surrogate female character in his life that's supportive in Rogue. So it's kind of just like, okay, whatever. Like, you can't replace a Charles. Like, he couldn't replace a Charles in his life. But as shitty as it sounds, it's like you could... She, he kind of replaced that person, especially with like the passing of the torch being like, take care of my, like, take care of him. And then they get married <laughs> and have a baby. Right. So it's like, it's close enough, I thought. Oh, it's close. Okay. Marius? Uh, yeah, I feel like during the original story, it didn't really appear as if her death was really affecting. It was really affecting me as a reader. I mean, it just kind of happened like on from one page to the other. It just kind of happened. And uh, I mean... I think that beneath the surface it did affect him because I feel like in the Age of Apocalypse universe, like the family bond between Magneto, Quicksilver and Wanda is like much stronger than in the regular Marvel universe. So it did kind of affect him, but it wasn't really showing in the original story. But there's like one issue from the X-Force run by Remember, by Remender. So a uh, spoiler alert, they Hashtag. are kind of they kind of found out about the whole like no more mutants thing from the uh, 616 universe so they were trying to kind of recreate that in the age of apocalypse world as kind of the last hope for humankind and they are trying to clone wonder maximov in order to like recreate the house of m event Ooh, and uh I remember Magneto being like extremely pissed and he was, it, that was kind of, kind of like, I mean, it's understandable, but, but that was even like, that's his 
last chance at like achieving the dream of Charles Xavier, but uh, still was just so he was just so out of his mind about the fact that they were cloning his dead daughter. I mean, it's his daughter after all, so uh, it's kind of understandable, really. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that issue is really kind of showing like how much he was affected by her death, but uh, not really in the original run. In Age of Apocalypse, is Charles to Magneto as Wanda Scarlet Witch is to Rogue? Because Rogue seems very impacted by Wanda's death and and takes on the role of Magneto's caretaker. Also, I want to point out that although Quicksilver and Magneto are infinitely closer in Age of Apocalypse, there's still a distance between them. And I wonder how much of that distance between Magneto and Quicksilver is because of Magneto's fear of losing his son. So he stays a little bit distant, a little bit cold, a little bit harsher on him so that he protects himself and he doesn't have to lose him. I think that's typical behavior among father-son relationships, too. So I think that that's certainly possible or likely in the sense that, yeah, like he would want to distance himself from, you know, something, you know, as cheesy as it is something that is made in his own image. And, you know, you know what they say about, you know, like firstborn sons, it's like a huge deal for or like culturally has just been a huge deal. So I could see how there's kind of like this weird distance that he wants to keep. But I think it's also a distance that's born out of kind of just even in nature as well as culture, you see that like the you give birth and then like they are supposed to supersede you. And Magneto's work is clearly not done. So like Quicksilver is obviously going to serve him no matter what till the end of time. But there's like that kind of distance because it's like you would have to take my role from me. And there's like there has to be a distance for that to happen. Like you can't just like be like, oh, I love you. So-. Like it's not like that anymore. It's like you're going to replace me. If there anything happens to me, but do you think some of some of that is dictated by the fact that they're living in the this age of apocalypse yeah. universe? Okay, mm-hmm. Marius. Yeah, I was uh, gonna add something about your comparison of about your comparison. I'm sorry, uh, of like the way Wanda's death kind of. Oh, what's the word? I'm sorry, I totally lost my train of that thought. Her, here. How her death affected affected right, right. Uh, affected like the character of Rogue versus how uh, like the death of Charles affected like the character of Magneto. I don't think you can compare both of that because uh, in the case of Magneto, he was like really putting his best friend on a pedestal. He was like really idealizing him. And uh, it's not just that he's like uh, passing a task to him that he's going to have to accomplish like uh, Wanda wants Rogue to take care of Magneto, but he's passing like an ideology really. Like, it's uh, even stronger than that. He's making him, ideologically speaking, like a totally different person. He's like, like, the impact was really that huge. He's just a person with uh, totally different moral and political standpoints. And, well, from the person we know from 616. So, yeah, I would definitely say that uh, the impact was larger. And you're saying that's what makes it different, the... Yeah. the degree of the impact. Okay, cool. Yeah. I thought one of the biggest themes running through this is the butterfly effect and that, you know, if something happens in the past, it changes you and changes everything else that comes after. You know, I started, I thought this was such a good piece and such a great work as a whole with all these different artists and writers working on it. And I, I, you know, I started asking myself these questions. How would my life be different if, you know, this had happened, if that had happened, would it be better or worse? You know, what sort of moments in my life were bigger moments that set me on like a different path. And I wanted to ask everybody if you had a similar experience or, or 
in your emotional response and if the work is successful or was not successful in bringing on whatever that experience was for you. Corey. Uh, I'll start off by saying that this butterfly effect alternate reality thing is something that that is explored a couple times in comics. It has been. And I think this apocalypse story is almost the definitive version of that in a lot of ways. And while reading it, yeah, you know, you marvel at the way these characters are so vastly different than than the way we normally see them that you it's almost like you can't not put yourself there and be like, well, I wonder if there is a reality out there somewhere where I'm actually a really bad person or something like that. You know, that's part of the fun of it, too. Right. Absolutely. Anybody else? Yeah. I mean, I also like it just because, again, like I said previously, it's really easy to mess up time travel comics or anything that's to do with alternate universes because it's really easy to be like, oh, wait, well, that doesn't make sense because X, Y and Z. And with this, it's like as far as storytelling and as far as continuity and being able to explore fully a different setting in time, like just temporally everything is airtight, everything checks out, I think. And that's great. Or like for the most part, it everything checks out. So that's nice. And um, whether that affects me emotionally when I read it, I definitely think it does just because I don't think I would have thought so while I was reading it. But retroactively thinking about it, it's interesting because the reason why I probably get emotionally invested or I got emotionally invested in this was because it does show how you know, everything is how momentary everything is because any one little thing or big event could change something and kind of create you to be a different person or be in a different world and end up with a different person, have different friends. And it's kind of this weird thing where instead of thinking of it like, oh, it's trippy, it's kind of just like, yeah, there are just infinite possibilities on where your life could have gone. And it kind of is just like, yeah, I don't know. It's It's weirdly... I think that's why it's emotionally invested, though, because it's something you experience on a small level every day where you're just like, oh, I could have gotten hit by a bus yesterday or like, you know, it's just weird. So I know I agree with you. I think that this was a successful work. Yeah. Does everybody agree that Age of Apocalypse was done well, is successful when we take off our fan hats and we put on our, you know, critique hats, our writer hats, our artist hats? Yeah. Is Age of Apocalypse successful? Corey. I want to say that, yes, I think it is successful, but it didn't age as well as some other things. It, I don't think looking back on it, we consider it successful and we really we all really liked it. But I don't think it aged very well in a lot of ways. Uh, Marius, what about you? Was it, was it successful? I definitely say it was successful at like, as you said, pointing out like uh, the importance of the butterfly effect. But also for me, uh, it was really successful at pointing out like the importance of Charles Xavier, like not only as a mutant who's extremely powerful, but also as like a symbol for peace that uh, is required like in a world. And I mean, we get that when we take a look at historical uh, figures who are still to this day like an important symbol. And I think uh, that's something that like the comic has done a good job at pointing out like what would, would be that <laughs> up without him as a symbol. So um, that was uh, something I got out of that. Uh, but I, I would agree that it's not aged as well as, for example, uh, God Lost Man Kills. So... Yeah, uh, uh, it's definitely successful. I think my issue was it was a little fast paced. Like it didn't always let you uh, get enough time to kind of like let things sink in or like give you enough time to like really delve into things. It was kind of like boom, 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 boom. Like it was just from A to B. There was not really any time in between to kind of to really 
feel a lot of what was ever going on. It was kind of you're in and you're out, but it was definitely successful. I just kind of would have liked a little more, just a little more time to let things settle in or to kind of feel things, like feel things. But then it's like, okay, now we're on to something else. Like, okay, this made you feel like shit. Now we're on to this new thing and then this will make you feel something else, but you never get any time to let it settle and really feel it. For me, it was successful as well. I think because it dealt with so many topics that we think about as human beings all the time you know what would i do if the world is ending is the world ending how would my life be different if you know it explored a different side of relationships and i think that there's maybe a little bit of wish fulfillment there and imagining you know how the grass is greener on the other side or whatnot so i wanted to go around again what is it that makes age of apocalypse a successful story because if you think about it what they did is pretty incredible because they told a story in media res is it a media raise and media res which is that? How do you pronounce that? Corey, you should know. Yeah, I in, don't know. <laughs> there's like a... Whatever. In medias, in medias res, I guess? Yes, yes, that one. But you said it so much more European and amazing. So I wish I said it like you, but I didn't. Anyway, so we join a story in media res, and it's beautiful because they have such a short time to tell all these really amazing stories and deal with them in such a way and i just think about the arc of magneto and everything that he goes through and him trying to push forward his dream and, it, and it, it's i find it moving and to me that's what it makes it successful so Kay, what to you makes Asia apocalypse a successful story well we talked about it before but obviously there's like this very intimate and familial aspect to just x-men in general so age of apocalypse i feel executes that very well just because the characters are very close to each other some especially in this case many seemingly unlikely pairings you start to feel really strongly for and i guess that in terms of exploring existing characters to do unexpected things how like considering how wrong and how not good that could have been this is a very good example of that on top of just being generally a good story that's fun to read and interesting. So I think that it actually does what I'm sure movies and comics are trying to do now, which is cater to the old fan base while also fulfilling just standard good storytelling. Chris, what about you? I think what it did really well, um, thinking about it, is kind of, you look at, especially in X-Men, a lot of these characters, very specific characters, your pivotal characters, like your Magnus, your Charles Xavier's, your Logan, Scott Summers, whoever, they're very entrenched in their ideology, whatever that ideology may be. This turns everything on that upside down, where it's kind of like this one little change to everything completely changed how these characters who are usually like, will die for whatever belief that it's kind of like the same thing in life. Like you're literally only like a couple different choices or happenings away from this stance that you had this really, you know, hard time giving up that you die for, that you fight for from changing. It's the same thing. Like um, kind of you were a chance away from being uh, in another country or born in another um, religion or culture or whatever that 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 small chance, that small change can change you as an individual drastically i think they did that really well especially obviously with the pairings we we keep talking about the the romantic pairings which i think is extremely important this that you're 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 one small step away from somebody else or some different ideology just something different and that small change of what is different drastically changed the entire landscape of this entire uh, story especially again x-men is it has always been a theme of ideology and like strong feelings towards whether it's peace and your charles xavier or dominance in sort of the magneto way or the apocalypse way and apocalypse i actually think is the only character who kind of stayed 
true to uh, himself no matter what. Well, of course he did because uh, the, I feel like, or not, that came out really aggressive. That wasn't meant to be like, <laughs> it's all right. shut like he's up, like, yeah, yeah. Like he's like a nice guy. Back, 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 no, back to my it, corner. It was, <laughs> it was more that like, no, it's just that because he's such a good villain, it would make sense to me that he was the most resistant to changing how he thought about anything. That's another thing that I liked about Age of Apocalypse 2 that I thought was successful was that it kind of, for anyone who was even remotely a fan, it kind of called into question, okay, are you a fan of the character or are you a fan of the side they were on? Because then you see them in a different light and you're just like, oh, like maybe you're just, like this is how you are now. This isn't just based on what side you're on. Because it's really easy to kind of think of Gene or Cyclops as, you know, just goody goodies if you just have always known them as that. But if they're in a setting where they're not, you're kind of like, oh, so this is the kind of person you are. Like, you kind of see a little bit more clearly what kind of person they are. So in terms of what Chris was saying about how Apocalypse didn't change... That was something I really liked about Cyclops and Age of Apocalypse too, where it's not so much that he changed, but he he was willing to think of other ideologies. Like he was willing to be like, maybe this is cruel. Maybe we shouldn't do this. So anyone who's unwilling to change or listen, I think would be a villain. Like they would because they're not willing to listen to anyone else. I think it's kind of cool. You get to see what makes them them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Marius, how about you? Yeah, I feel really similar about that and i think that for me what made age of apocalypse like uh, a successful story was uh, basically that they pulled uh, something off that uh, pulled off something that hasn't been done before and i mean it's just like it's happened like on a large scale and i think that uh, deserves appreciation like canceling every X-Men title and replacing them for like a new title that uh, takes place in this parallel universe and uh, just telling this really large scale kind of what if story. It's really interesting and it's really successful. Yeah. Corey, what about you? I agree with all of you, but for me, mostly it was just a lot of fun to read because we know these characters, we know these settings and these stories so well and like it's almost outrageous in a lot of ways and just totally bonkers how this story went and to see all these characters in these new ways and these new costumes this new setting doing all these new things it was just fun like i couldn't wait to read the next one because i had no idea what i was about to get into i think it was also profound for a comic and that i had these life lessons in it especially for a superhero comic what do you think was the the takeaway because i was a little bit confused in a good way because it brought up both these kind of points for me one of them is you know looking at the relationship i know that you didn't like it at the end when gene gray and cyclops kind of yeah. realized that you know did we know each we other in a connection. different life right and then rogue and magneto on the other hand are like oh you know we're in love now but maybe this isn't meant to be what do you think is the takeaway of x-men apocalypse what do you think should be the takeaway from x-men apocalypse charles xavier is the key to everything everything all right like not even just x-men everything the entire fu fucking marvel also the, the take home of house of m yeah that's a big point i mean chuck is pretty important and i think we see that now more than ever yep agreed that was like semi-sarcastic cool but yeah you, you started a i did start dialogue oh my god i, I did, did something right today absolutely <laughs> um you do I things. Good. <laughs> I know you're like you're, you're. Now I'm like the sinister to your Cyclops. I don't, don't want to be Cyclops. You you are Cyclops. You, are right you now. would definitely. Be, yeah, yeah. You are right yeah. now. There's so much worse things to be than Cyclops, but it, seriously, there is. 
Uh, well, seriously, because I'm going to ask a serious question. I just think that's funny that there's a DC comic called like a serious, what is it called? A serious something on serious earth? A serious house on a serious hill? Yeah. Arkham serious Asylum? House yeah. on a serious hill? Who the fuck named that? Probably someone really talented. It's uh, Graham Morrison, dude. There's only, no logic behind Only a genius. Cool. Well, I have a serious. probably like high on ayahuasca. I have a serious question in a, on a serious podcast. That would be ours. Oh, it's not somebody else's? Thankfully not. I was about to plug like 20 other Mark channels. Mark Marin? Yeah. I'm just... No, cut that. Just kidding. <laughs> so, anyway, wait. No, we didn't answer my question. What's the takeaway? Oh, yeah. I, I gave a bullshit answer. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Okay, what was the takeaway for you? Especially with the time travel stuff, it's um YOLO. YOLO? Uh, I know that's really lame and like that's, I'm like half, I'm being half facetious by saying YOLO. Say but, the but adult it, version. But Carpe it really, diem. The TLDR. Oh, that's even, oh, that's even douchier <laughs> somehow. You, I like could, I could like see the tattoo calligraphy as you said it. <laughs> but it's, Old it's, English lettering. It's, yeah, it's it, but it really does come down to like, you know, you never know. Like there's like this weird impermanence about life that this whole universe or alternate universe kind of addresses. And I think the reason why it's so emotionally poignant is because smart people can re recognize that, you know, sometimes things don't go your way or like things, unexpected things happen and you can try to control as much as you can. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, shit happens. And it's kind of like this weird, beautiful, like just do do your thing. Just go. Like do your best. Get out there. Love people. Don't love people. Kill a few people. Just go. Just live. Go. Like you know, it's like comics first. The, a place for motivation. The the, the, the the takeaway is to just go and live. Just whether go it's live. killing people or just or not you. killing people or having ice dealer's cream choice. Or having butter okay. pecan. No, do you because. I would hope like there's always going to be people who are intrinsically trying to do good. But then there's also going to be people who are like, OK, I'm just going to go kill people. And you need the balance for the good to be a thing. I think that's very poignant. So <laughs> hashtag ying yang. Hashtag poignancy. Marius and Corey, do you guys have anything to add? What was the takeaway for you? I was going to agree with that. I was going to say enjoy what you've got while you got it. Yeah. Hashtag YOLO. I have to stop with the hashtags now. Now Chris made me do it. Hashtag, hashtag. Marius. I, I kind of feel like, I mean, we've been talking about how some things kind of seem to be like predetermined by fate or whatever, by some metaphysical force. I don't know. But then again, some things like about characters are able to change like depending on what they experience in their lives and sometimes depending on small moments really and about the butterfly effect i kind of feel like the the takeaway is something i i, I kind of feel like the takeaway is that in life it's mostly a balance between those two things between like things that are predetermined and uh, things that will change due to the butterfly effect mm. As we discussed, this comic came out in 1995 through 1996. I was four, I think. I was six. You're old. Therefore, True. during this period in time, a lot was going on in comics. It was right before the big comic crash of 1996. It was... Death of um, Superman? No, Death of Superman was right before that. Didn't it cause it? Well, that's a, that's a larger conversation we should probably have on a different podcast. But let's, yeah, whatever, for whatever... Hashtag fuck. For whatever when, reason. When was the, the Clone Saga released? Yeah, I, you think, guys are, I think Clone Saga you guys are was more me like shit that I'm not prepared to answer. <laughs> I think uh, Clone Saga was a little later than that. What? Was okay. It? Yeah, I think because I think this uh this the Spider Spider you're talking Spider Man Clone Saga, right? Yeah. I think that was closer to the 2000s. I think. Okay. So 
this came out in this interesting time. We had Death of Superman. The comics industry is about to fail. There's all these kind of apocalyptic doomsday stuff going on in DC. You've got apocalypse going on in Marvel. I was wondering, do you think this was saying anything about the comics industry? Do you think comics were saying anything about life as we know it in the mid-90s? I think it was uh, as a commentary on the 90s itself, just over the top. What the fuck can we do to make the most bang? Like, look at the artwork. Like, the artwork, we can't look at it as I'm speaking. This is. We can look at it. We can look at it, but yeah. But if you look at the. Like, everything's just over the top. It's big. Like, everything about. um, Everyone, when you talk about 90s comics, you look at 90s comics, everything's big. It's over the top. It's extreme. And I feel like it's not so much. A look at the time, like a end times, more like what is the most extreme idea or story that we can do that can throw, in this case, comics, the medium over the top, like all all the shit. Like you go back and read a lot of nineties comics, everything is fucking extreme. That's when Lobo came out. That's when Deadpool came out. Who else? There's uh, Venom. Every every uh, the Carnage too. Like all these extreme over the top, not character but character ideas i just feel like it's just the times of the 90s was what is the most over-the-top extreme badass different thing that we could come up with or do or um provide Corey, may i ask you guys anything, anything to add i agree i agree too i mean I, I can't really speak to a lot of it because i was barely alive back when it came out and with my knowledge of the 90s now i can just say that yeah everything back then seemed to be really over the top and maybe there was some guy sitting there being like all right it's the apocalypse of the comics industry itself let's make it a character let's make it an allegory for this but i don't think there's any way we could ever know that for sure but don't you think or do you think there's a chance that it was an accidental allegory that because mm. there's this time when they're trying to get all these big things to happen, the most extreme things to happen, that the most extreme thing did happen that we almost all lost comics? Uh, I would say no, because if you look at like Marvel Civil War, which when the original Civil War, 2000 Civil War, Mark Miller Civil War, just want to make sure it's all clarified on which Civil War this is about. It came in a time post 9-11. That was a conscious. Now, the idea itself and every the minute things going into it were maybe not as conscious, but the idea from Civil War, from my understanding of interviews and information that I've been given and read about, that was meant to be a post 9-11 comic. Like that was meant to be a commentary of the time. So I feel like if it was a conscious effort to do that, we would know about it because you can go back and look at certain times when The Dark Knight, like when that came out, that was a conscious like, Nixon, like that whole atmosphere of the error and the society and the culture. It was the opulence of the 80s. And yes, stuff. yes. It was meant to, it was consciously meant like we're going to do a story about what's going on, right? Like, look at comics right now. Like, if you look at internet culture, like how big internet culture is, and you look at comics now, like everything is meant to be like, here's diversity, here's something different, here's this new point of view. Like, it's a comment, it's a conscious commentary of what is going on in the world, which comics have always sort of done because that's what writers and artists do. Like, if it was music, it'd be the same sort of, it's what art does. Art is a commentary. But isn't this an uncon, but can't this be an unconscious commentary? I, 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 it could be, but I, don't feel I feel like it would actively they would have been like this is what we feel right now we want this story I feel like the commentary of this time was extreme how can we push the boundaries not so much end time we're consciously looking at the end of comics yeah I mean I see that it's just I think that in terms of whether it's an unconscious 
kind of omen i i would i think omen is a good way of thinking of it like a weird omen to what is happening or or what happened like right after historically in the comic book industry but i think that i can only say that i can get behind that because a lot of historical things are just cyclical anyway there's always going to be peaks and valleys in terms of just how industry or culture or history goes it's always going to be like this there's always going to be a huge conflict and then a huge depression and then it, like it just there's never a point where it's like oh history's just flatlining like right here there's always a conflict and then a resolution or like you know it's cuz that's what a story is that's why we care about stories is because they reflect something that is very real in history and life which is the ups and the downs so when you say like oh isn't this an omen for you know like the almost losing comic books forever i could kind of see that but only because we're always on the brink of losing everything like it just depends on you know like what context you're in so if it's not this like okay cool that like we've evaded death today but you know we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow it might be this whole other conflict that's why superhero comics or just comic books in general are always so popular because you just start a new story arc and you're like oh shit like what's what's the big bad this time and then you're still interested i think the what was leading in my question and what i wanted to see if anyone picked up on not if that sounds so funny professor xavier like not that i want to see if anyone picked up on it but yeah i wasn't being manipulated but what what i was curious if anyone else reverse psychology Ooh. well i was curious about what people might have agreed with me with or saw in my question was is any art whether it's conscious or not saying something about the time it's in yeah and then if so then what yep. is age of apocalypse saying about this era of the 90s and this era of the the, the comics industry because remember you also had image break off really recently too at this time yeah. so it was kind of like the end of the world for marvel they didn't know what was going to happen where were marvel and dc over the, all their best artists and writers left mm, interesting they had just I relaunched think... x-men sorry uh cory i mean Coming off right there, a lot of what happens in Age of Apocalypse was unexpected. So all these things happen to these characters all of a sudden, you know, so that they had to adapt. All of a sudden they were in this completely new world and life kept going on no matter what. No matter where they were, they were still fighting. Interesting. Kind of like, as you said, image broke off all of a sudden. Marvel was about to go down the tube, but they kept doing what they were doing. Right. Marius, did you have something to add? Uh, no, no. I'm oh, sorry. I thought you saw your hand up. Was that you? Uh, I didn't have my hand up. Right, just kidding. Uh, we're done with the segment. So let's talk about some of the art. <laughs> we each picked a panel, a set of panels. That, except for me. Except for Chris, because <laughs> he didn't get the message. Because who asked? That people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, except for Chris, because no one cares. Um, about that sounds about right. <laughs> a page or panel that really spoke to us. Let's go with K's. I kind of thought K's was the most artistic, which is the, the second one. Um, you chose Generation X, Generation Next, Issue 4, and it was mm-hmm. the second to the last page. Yes. Uh, why did you choose that page for us to take a look at? Okay, because it's, um, you know, spoiler alert, I guess, but it's when Colossus goes back to save his students from uh, Sugar Man's fortress, I guess. Sugar Man. Uh, he's awful. Yeah, Sugar Man's fortress after... His students kind of called out to him. I think it was Husk who was just like, please don't leave us. You know, they were already really short in numbers. They were, it was like their first assignment, I think. And, you know, they were just really, they were just thrown into this thing. And Colossus uh, originally was just like, just thinking about his younger sister who was like the main objective. And when his wife, you know, uh, Shadowcat was going to go back in there, he went back himself and 
there's a moment where it's like, oh, I have to get through the doors before they close. And something about this page, it tells three different stories to me because the the text bubbles are what Colossus's younger sister is thinking about what she thinks of her older brother and how much she reveres him and how she really believes in him as like a good person, even though he made a questionable choice like moments before. And you see him going back for his students, watching them die, essentially, as the doors are closing. And you kind of realize that he doesn't believe that in himself, like at all. And as this this text is happening, and you're seeing what he's seeing, and you're seeing his students just do whatever it takes to survive, and he can't do anything to get through the door over, yeah, and just like with the text of his younger sister being like, I know my brother wouldn't leave them. That's not right. And it's just kills me every time i have to say it's a it's a great page it just kills me and those last two panels specifically where he's hunched over yeah and like, then you it's know, just he's just yeah that's really that that's that's exactly what uh visual storytelling is is being able to like the panels don't have to reflect exactly what's happening with the text bubbles or even temporally what's happening there because there's literally just a moment where he's you know like it's like a movie you know just having like a moment where there's no sound and just Right. Feel that. Uh, Corey? I'm glad you chose this. I love this page. I thought it was one of the most powerful ones in the whole saga. But, and I'll, I'll call myself an idiot for this. You guys are probably going to laugh at me. But the first time I read it, that bottom panel where, where uh, Colossus is hunched up against the wall, th- thinking about his failure and things like that, his hand, his head is in his hand. I thought the door closed on him and his head got stuck on the other side. And this was him like stuck in the wall. Oh. How? I- I, I don't know, maybe it's because I was reading it on my iPad mini and I couldn't quite tell. I didn't have it zoomed in all the way, but I don't know. But like when I looked at it at first, I was like, wait a minute, is he stuck? Because I couldn't really see like his head or anything hunched over. Okay. I know that's terrible, but that's just what I saw the first time. It's Anybody seeable. else see that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, we all, I think we could see it. I could see yeah, it. Right. I could see it, but I didn't see it. Yes. But I, I could, right? Yeah. Okay, hey, great page regardless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm a really bad liar. I wasn't going to be like, oh, yeah. Like, it's just like, yeah, I could see that. But no, yeah. that's not what I saw. I didn't see. That's it, just I what I saw at first. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, it's, but, yeah. but like, I feel like when you read the. OK, well, I'm not sorry. That came out a lot more mean than I wanted it no, to. It was, it's, it was it's, more, it's more that like the, the text bubbles to me suggests a kind of symbolism to me from the start like even before this page when you see her uh kind of her thought process and her telling the story she her her like her um narrative is not one to joke around or anything so like when if it was overlapping with this well, I, I would it, be pretty confused but I it could have be been like, it could have been that's s- why i was so confused because i looked at the <laughs> panel before i read the two text bubbles on top so i was like what the hell just happened yeah, like my hero, he got his head stuck in a door. Because like because it says like it's not like he would leave them for any reason if it meant saving one of them or never seeing me again. Which is exactly what he what does. Do. And you can also see his head in the first or in the in in the uh in the third to too. in the third to last one. Like as the doors are shut. Oh, right, right. I, I don't know. I guess like I just assumed maybe that was my issue that like I just assumed that it was like that moment of like no like right, it's like right, trying right. to catch the elevator and it's just like ding and like you know. Oh yeah, for me I think it was a shadow of the head on the third one, the last panel. 
Oh, like here? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is murky, to be fair, because like Chris said before, it's the 90s. And, and it's reading it on an top. iPad. Everything yeah. is It's like a different top. language. Yeah, for sure. Um, did anyone else have any thoughts about this panel, which I think to me is one of the most powerful. <laughs> Husk. Yeah. We all chose. I love Husk. Love her. <laughs> it was so sad. Yeah. She will one day go on to sleep with Warren Worthington III in the air oh. in front of her mother. Good for her. Yeah. I see that. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah, I know it happens. And yeah. even her mother is like, good for you, honey. I'm sure. <laughs> no, she is, yeah. I love it. She's like, you get you get your man. You get- no, she's from the exactly. South. Exactly, yeah, I know. Yeah. If anyone listened to my Samuel Guthrie accent on the New Mutants podcast, <laughs> you should be familiar <laughs> with my my um accent base, which is large. <laughs> Someone else pick one of the pictures. Corey, you're new. You pick one of the pick one of the pictures to talk You're about. new. <laughs> Wait, pick, like the thing I chose? It can be pick any one of the ones that we haven't chose. Let's just do the one I chose. All right, that's not a very utilitarian answer. But sure, yeah. Well, Chris wanted it. I'm, I'm so confused right now. Okay. Chris, I only speak English. <laughs> I can't help you. No, I'm just kidding. Marius, can you explain to him what I meant to say in German? Maybe he'll get it. Sorry? I said, can you no. explain to Chris what I was nine. saying in German? I know nine. That's the only yeah. German I know. Nine. Do you know judo? Yeah, but not that's Japanese. Das Junge trinkt Wasser. Yeah, that. Sorry? <laughs> Never. Again? Oh, was that German? I thought that was yeah, Japanese. It was, it was oh. German. Oh. It was pretty good German, though. No, you didn't even know what I said. <laughs> no, he was just so astonished. He was like astonishing X-Men 1 through like, 4. Just what? Like, oh, Marius wants you to say something like Nightcrawler, Marius. Marco <laughs> wants you to say something. Sorry. Oh, sorry, it's the shoulders. Uh, Marius, can you say something German like Kurt Wagner would say so that uh, Marco can hear you? What would he say? He would probably say, uh, meine Freunde. Fräulein. Yeah, and what about like Mein Gott? Yeah. Sorry? Mein Gott. Mein Gott. Mein Gott. Yeah, that, look, Marco is... Großer Gott, guter Gott. Oh, shit, yeah. Don't... Can you, can you <laughs> say, say something says sarcastic like and say Mein Gott after or Mein Freund? Sorry? No, never mind. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, we're getting sidetracked I'm, now. Oh, sorry, I just... No, it's I, not good to exotify accents. I know no, what that know. feels like. Let's and plus, Marco that. looks a little too turned on from this. Um, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> All right. So someone night. Someone likes Nightcrawler a little too much. All right. So we're talking Put the about the train back on the rails. <laughs> the train is back on. We're talking about Corey's panel, the one he chose, which was from Cable Twenty and X Men Forty One, page thirty nine to forty, is what I had. And it's this one. Yep, that's that's the one. The most nineties artwork you can get. But I kind of love it. Why do I love it? Uh, because it's that's why I chose it. So nineties. Uh, Corey, tell us why you chose it. Well, the one thing that was in my head a lot of times while I was reading this is how 90s it was and how there's nothing quite like anything that came from this time, especially from Age of Apocalypse. And this page has a whole lineup of you know the X-Men. They're all wearing those red and yellow costumes. Their bodies are like you can see the lines on their abs and their arms and the women are drawn and their boobs are sticking out. They are. Like I said, it's just definitive 90s. But on top of that, you have this really cool monologue from Xavier and it says the pride of having known you I really liked that line he talks about closure and the end of all things I think that's what the issue was called an end of all things or something like that and it was thought it was just a really nice final moment they kind of gave Cable a bulge too yeah they do Mm -hmm. I rarely see that in comics that's why I'm like so kind of yeah they usually can doll it yeah I mean, yeah. You he's... can't hide it. You can't hide the bulge. Oh, from I, I, table. I, I wore a Spider-Man costume for Halloween. It was cold. There was, it was awkward. You can't hide bulge. <laughs> well, now it spandex. is. It's super awkward yeah. now. 
I meant for me, not, not you guys. I meant for me wearing the costume and it's cold. It's like this is <laughs> everything's up in your body. It's <laughs> it's up inside your body. Yeah. I don't know o- if you Octo- wore it correctly. October when it's like thirty <laughs> degrees out and the only thing you're wearing is spandex. Yes. Okay. That's a, a beautiful thought. So it's very thin. I'd say when I when you read the monologue <laughs> on this page, I thought that the image of them looked very triumphant. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Yes. You know what? It, it also remind when you look at it. I'm sure this is what they were considering too. But when you look at it, it's very like the pantheon. Yes, you know, absolutely. Like they're like the gods. Right. Yeah. 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 Marius, do you want to pick one of the panels or pages? Yeah, sure. I'll just pick the one you chose, okay. which is page twenty six from X Men Alpha. Uh, so, Justin, what did you? What made you choose this page? Well, uh, Justin, I've chosen <laughs> because I thought it said a lot about the relationship between Magneto and Rogue and their child. The first one, you have Magneto uh, holding Charles, and they're faced away from us. And then we see a close-up of Rogue, you know, looking very sad as she's kissing her own finger, fingers, about to relay that kiss to Charles's head. And I thought about how Charles gets to have this physical relationship with his son that his wife doesn't get to have and that the mother mm-hmm. doesn't get to have with the son and i don't know if, if it's the, the art or the writing or what makes me read this into it definitely all of them coming together that when i look at charles's eye you know there's a sadness there and the next line after i notice that sadness is that you know she says out that he needs her touch the a mother's touch and then magneto is definitely portrayed as working his ass off in this and and making everything about the x-men succeeding and you know there's a little bit of darkness in his eyes a little bit of blackness there and to me it makes me think of him you know it makes him look a little bit sinister Mm. it's almost like what he's saying oh you know i promised you this i'm gonna make it a priority but we know he's not making it a priority because he has bigger priorities than his son and his wife unfortunately as much as he probably loves them but do you think that the darkness in his eyes and him turning away from the viewer has more to do with kind of rogues isolation from them and or like from absolutely people. that's, that's yeah, what i was trying to say yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely then i i agree i agree with that like she's it's to a certain it doesn't matter how intimate she gets with these people or anyone because there's just always kind of a realm of intimacy she can never reach both emotional and physical yes yeah anyone have anything to add about this panel it's an amazing panel like each each yeah each piece is powerful in its own right mm-hmm especially like everything's like filled with emotion like even the back turns like you feel the the distance and then you go to the next panel it's like you feel the sadness from mother and then to son and then the last one you feel the the discord where magneto is kind of like i have this shit to do this sucks but i have a job to do and rogue's kind of like the she wants to be with her son she wants to have a relationship with her son she kind of She's torn between father and son and duty, both duties, duty as a mother, duty as an X-Men and duty as a mutant. And then mm-hmm. it's very for for four single pictures. Yeah, they're, it's they're, very concise. They're very poignant. Mm-hmm. Corey, I don't think I've ever felt rogues isolation more than right here, because imagine a mother not being able to touch her child. You know, that's heartbreaking i know we've seen it play up in relationships where like she can't kiss gambit or whatever but this is pretty heartbreaking i think it's sad on a whole other level than they usually show rogue mm-hmm. marius did you have something to add or no i no. i totally agree um so the last one is marius's picture yeah right so marius tell us why you chose this it's uh uncanny x-men number 321 page nine right it's basically what we can see in the picture is uh like magneto and 
Charles within like really pointless argument within a bar and after that settled they kind of just like leave the bar arms in arms and talking about like how any dream worth having is the dream worth fighting for which is like uh, by the way really inspirational quote by Charles Xavier and I think uh, it was just uh, artistically appealing because it kind of displays like on one page the what's the word i'm so sorry i'm so tired right now you almost the, got it sorry you got this. you're almost there <laughs> Final uh, push. yeah kind of like the contrast between like pointless violence on the one hand and dreaming of a day of peaceful coexistence on the other hand mm-hmm. and yeah i also feel like the way the panels panels are arranged on this one are on this page are really interesting however um I mean, it's really, it's really dynamic. And again, I think the art is really like '90s esque. It's like everyone's totally jacked up, and like the body proportions are kind of unrealistic. But again, I think it's really interesting. I think dynamic because of that uh, contrast. I think it's cool looking at. It's almost the opposite of the one I chose in a sense, because although Xavier and Magneto, yeah, and although Xavier and Magneto are, you know. There's a distance between them and those two bottom panels when they're looking at each other. Those two close-ups of them, mm-hmm. you know, you can see the connection develop between them, and, and then yeah. through the closure between the, the final panel. And then the final panel is just like, them together. Yeah, and then it's an omen too, because it's like fine and noble. Whereas my friend, someday I'll carve them on your tombstone. Oh my god! And it's yeah. just like, Ugh. okay. So All good. Right. So the full circle I- here. And this has nothing to do with the art. See how badass Charles is, the fighting, you know, in the fray, like in the middle of things. Just pointing that out there. No, he's great. Maybe he could. He is actually pretty useful if he'd stop being a lazy asshole and get in a <laughs> fight with the rest of the X-Men. Just saying, the dude looks seems pretty useful as long as he has working legs. Which, again, Tony Stark. Let me get some robot legs, something. Any of the uh, shit. Even Mr. Fantastic, all the smart people, T'Challa. You can't get one person to give you a set of robot legs for battle. Look how fucking useful this guy is. Look at the bottom. 14 sailors later. This is before you even knew how to use new powers. <laughs> Mic drop. Maybe maybe he doesn't want to help. Exactly. Lazy asshole. Yeah. I, you know what? We're going to leave that for our audience to decide because we have to get on to um, other things besides his handicap but that's a good that's a, a good thing to ponder chris so let's talk about the movie x-men apocalypse more genuine <laughs> no that was that was as genuine i i don't even have an analogy because it just wasn't genuine at all so now that we know the story behind this is what inspired brian singer's next x-men film x-men apocalypse what aspects from the comic are you hoping to see in the film and also what do you think is unfortunate that it won't be seen in the film due to how different the two continuities are between the marvel cinematic universe and the x-men comic universe Corey, then marius then Kay, then chris i don't think we're going to see much of anything from the comic in the movie I mean, we're obviously going to see Apocalypse as the main villain, but besides that, I, I think it'll be pretty rare. I mean, we know that the X-Men movies these days really like to flaunt the fact that they have Jennifer Lawrence, so the whole movie's probably going to be about Mystique in some weird way now that Wolverine's not in it. And outside that, we can't. We don't have the classic Four Horsemen. We don't have the overtaking of Manhattan. As far as we know, we just have a new villain that they'll probably top at the end of the movie. Marius? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say something similar, like most of what defines the story of uh, Age of Apocalypse is probably not gonna make it to the movie because the concept is like totally different. This is like uh, part three of a trilogy. It's trying to kind of introduce us to characters like Storm, 
to characters like Cyclops and Jean Grey in their like youthful versions. I don't know. It's not trying to give us like a new perspective on characters we already know. It's not trying to be like a parallel universe what if kind of story. It's more trying to be like a sequel to uh, Days of Future Past and kind of yeah getting like the new X-Men cinematic universe to its next level and also concluding the story about Magneto, Mystique and Beast and Eric that uh, and uh, Charles that has been started in X-Men First Class. So like it's got a, a totally different premise to begin with so most of what we've seen in age of apocalypse unfortunately will not make it to the movie as cory quite correctly pointed out we're not going to see sinista as a character i think mm-hmm. many fans will be disappointed about that mm-hmm. and yeah we're going to see like a new set of horsemen about which i'm really excited so i mean in the beginning of uh, the a Legion's Quest storyline that was kind of like a romance being hinted on between uh, Psylocke and Angel. Maybe we could see some of that in the movie, I don't know. However, I mean, I'm really excited for the movie, but it's not going to be like really similar to what we've just read in the X-Men classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to, I guess, add on to what you guys are saying, I think that it, it is valid with any comic book movie that it's pretty it's pretty difficult to make a movie adaptation of anything right now especially an ongoing or like not even necessarily ongoing but just a a story series that has kind of survived for a very long time and has a historical or just just a history in general uh so yeah i agree that it's not going to be the same uh it's not going to be the same story also even if they were going to try to make an x-men movie that was super accurate to the Age of Apocalypse, uh, like the general storyline, they would have to cut out most of the fragments, like or like the fragmental little storylines because all the groups are very spread apart and not together. And that's kind of what's fun about Age of Apocalypse because it just creates this whole different universe that you get to explore in different storylines. And you wouldn't be able to do that in a movie just because there's just there's no way you could. Maybe a TV series, that would be cool. But I was just going to say that they could do like a great TV show about that yeah but as a movie it's totally valid that you know there's already a precedent that has been set by the other movies they have to follow it just for the sake of continuity for other film viewers so as a film i'm sure it'll do fine but i try not to think of any adaptation of any film or tv to be too close to the series of anything because it's i just i like not being disappointed uh so i guess getting past the fact that this is a tough trend or a tough series to translate into film, especially, you know, like a mainstream audience. It's almost like near impossible to try to keep it like true blue to the original series. Getting past that, I think, and I'm going to watch the movie anyway, and I want to see it, but I think what's going to upset me the most is the fact that they're not even, I don't see Fox willing to try even some of these crazy elements, trying to insert them. Like where you get Marvel, you get the guard. They, they did it with Deadpool, but look how hard that was. Like you had to, release test footage and it was basically it was kept to a very small group of people fox didn't really have a hand in it Mm. where you had marvel marvel's a little more willing like ant-man who if you if it wasn't a marvel movie no one would watch a an ant-man movie or Mm. guardians of the galaxy these things i think what is kind of disappointing is that fox isn't going to try some of the more colorful elements like if you look at the costumes like again this is the movie hasn't come out yet i'm not knocking it and i'm going to see it anyway but some of the more crazier elements that make this fun because it's crazy and it's ridiculous, I think is a little disappointing that you won't get to see. 
you just won't get to see that in a movie. And again, getting past the stuff that you can't translate to a mainstream audience or even put because there's so there's so much content to unpack. And like Kay was saying, with the different mm-hmm. the different groups and different miniseries, even if you get the core of the main story, it's still very difficult to put that on screen. But even you can get like just small inklings of that, and you're missing a lot of characters. I just kind of wish Fox would take some kind of chance, even like some kind of like throwback to be like, hey, we did this just mm-hmm. because we want to give you something close. I just don't feel like they do. I think it's like mm-hmm. age of apocalypse and name only. Like here's yeah, apocalypse. Exactly. I agree. And he's there. That That's like mm-hmm. the extent of the relation. Yep. If I had one wish for uh, Fox movies, it would be to, to get to these emotional storylines. Marius. I kind of feel like even though uh, X-Men Apocalypse is not at all going to be accurate to uh, uh, the X-Men Age of Apocalypse storyline, it's going to be like one of the most comic book accurate X-Men movies thus far when it comes to like the character portrayal. Because like in the interviews with uh, like the young actors being cast, uh, things that we discovered are that they're going to ex- uh, explore like Storm's backstory in Cairo, how her parents have been killed. Uh, it's been translated almost 100% into the movie, apparently. Uh, they're going to address the fact that Cyclops uh, struggles to control his powers. They're going to uh, address the fact that uh, Jean discovers like a lot of new powers and she's kind of feeling insecure about that. And they're go- also going to tap into like the playfulness of the character of Nightcrawler, but also his uh, religious background. So what I'm getting of that, also if we're taking a look at the uh, Psylocke, at the Jubilee costume, uh, is that, you know, maybe X-Men comic book fans are gonna have like a decent time watching this movie. So um, it's just not really gonna be about uh, this story in particular which is probably why it's not called age of apocalypse it's not really about the age of apocalypse it's more about um uh apocalypse apocalypse himself as a villain the only thing that uh, i could kind of imagine that would be carrying over from the original story is like like who knows maybe change of ideologies when it comes to the character of magneto like towards the end of the third act or something i could see that coming but I don't know. It would it would just be it's inconsequential to whether you'd like it or not at this point. It's kind of just yeah, unrelated. Probably. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I see that. So obviously Age of Apocalypse came out more than twenty years ago. Corey, you talked about it feeling really dated for you. What made it feel dated for you and did that prevent it from giving you the full effect of the story that you, you know, if it was let out today would have given you? Obviously the artwork was pretty dated, but I can get by that because I really appreciated it. I think a lot of the dialogue was dated. We still had that thing that would happen where we would go inside the character's head. Like like we would see in the panel Cyclops shooting beams from his eyes. But then we would also read him saying, well, I need to shoot these beams from my eyes <laughs> and things like that. Didn't rely on the visual <laughs> aspect right. of the story storytelling. Does anybody have an opposing perspective? No. Or we all agree? Yeah, that's pretty accurate, I think. Yeah. All right, cool. So X-Men Omega, it ends on this very bittersweet note. For me, one of the most beautiful moments in all of X-Men for me, when Rogue and Magneto are with each other as the X-Men in the 616 continuity were with each other when the M-Cron crystal Mm -hmm. took over everything and ended everything. I thought it was beautiful. How did the end resonate with with you guys? Marius. Uh, I feel like very conflicted about the ending because uh, like on the one hand, you would feel bad for the characters because their love is not gonna like carry over to the rebooted like 616 universe that's being created uh, with like 
Bishop's uh, second time travel. And all of that is not going to carry over into that universe. But then again, you're kind of happy for the characters because you know that they kind of succeeded at kind of like preventing that horrible world from that they live in from happening. And uh, this is why they've kind of earned like an opportunity to hope again. So you feel bad for the characters, but uh, you feel extremely happy for them at the same time, which is an accomplishment. And it's like a really great ending. Anybody else? I really like the full circle aspect. I guess if you can look at it like as a theme or motif or philosophical, whatever I call it. You go from having uh, the beginning of the story where everything changes, you know, Legion kills Xavier, everything goes to shit, and you have everyone saying goodbye and accepting the reality, um, and then everything changes. But even in the, at the end of the day, there's still, it basically shows that no matter what, even if there's change and everything's different, there's still some things to say the same, which I thought was cool. Like, even though, even though things completely change, characters drastically change, or ideologies change, at the end of the day, there was still something different, even if it was a small motif of Rogue and Magneto. It may not have been the same characters, but the motif of, at the end of the day, what's important or what people find important mm. is still the same across you want to call it age multiverses yeah well not not even so much multiverses but like age gender thinking belief no matter who you are no matter how you feel you kind of are we're all the same like yeah. we all have the same wants desires mm -hmm. dreams sort of if you want to call it like that like everything's still we all have that same want well i think that that's interesting just because to go off of that you know that is why uh xavier and magneto are such you know, I can't think of a better word right now, which is so pathetic. Polar poignant, opposites. Poignant, since that's been <laughs> the keyword today, but it's poignant. That, that's, that was my word. Yeah, that, that's why, like, they're so, you know, it makes, it makes so much sense that X-Men is such a popular series because of them. And it's interesting that Age of Apocalypse, as did, like, as, you know, Magneto is with Rogue, his wife, and his son Charles. It like begins and ends with him and Charles in a lot of ways. And like, cause they're, I always thought, I thought that Age of Apocalypse made kind of morality, I guess, a little bit less clear than you normally would in a, in a, just like a comic in general. And it kind of like switches everything up. So you feel like really conflicted about everything. And, but, you can easily see how Charles and Xavier are like not even good and bad, but just alternates of each other. And much like how life and death is cyclical and alternate from each other, it's nice that Age of Apocalypse came full circle at the end in the sense that it ends and it always begins with people like Charles and Magneto. What's interesting is that. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say yin and yang. Yeah. Yin and yang, yeah. Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Yeah, That's true, which exactly. we're going to discuss in our X-Men the Dream podcast. But um, yeah, what's interesting to me is that at the end, Xavier and Magneto are in a way closer to each other than they are when, when the story starts. They're mm -hmm. ending the story kind of both in the same place um, which, in Legion Quest and then at the end of Age of Not Apocalypse. to cut you off, it, and maybe this is just like a, a constant in storytelling to begin with, but it always seems like those two in particular, are always closer when death is involved than any other point. Well, because they have an ideological difference but great respect for each other. Not, I don't even mean like that. Like their, their ideologies are different, but every time like someone important dies or someone close to them dies or one of the other dies. Well, yeah, they're it, able to put their ideology aside. Which I think is important because I think that should be a reflection of society as a whole. Like mm. we as a society should sometimes put away our own ideologies and beliefs 
and uh, disagreements to look at the big picture, which I think in their relationship in particular, they're very good at when it gets to shit and it comes to the end of the day, life and death. Like they're like, mm. you know what? We want the same thing. Our past getting to the same thing are different. But at the end of the day, we, we want that same type of universal peace. It's mm. just we disagree on getting there. Yeah. And I think their relationship is a perfect example of how we as real people should kind of model our, mm -hmm. our thinking that we forget most of the time. Especially, you know, back to full circle again, <laughs> elections going on right now that sometime we may disagree. Oh, damn. Get we all political. want the same thing. Right, important to put ideology aside. So let's do our kind of lightning round of answers since we're at the end here. Um, yes, no, A, B. <laughs> so, okay, who are your favorite characters or set of characters in Age of Apocalypse? Marius. I think probably Magneto and Rogue. Mine too. That's why we love each other. Corey. <laughs> I like them too, but I will go with uh, Cyclops, Havoc, and both of their fathers. Oh, that was a tense one. I'm with Corey. Oh, shit. I feel, like this, I feel like the same way that was like one of the coolest interactions. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You guys can get married later, okay? Don't hate. I didn't say I don't that. Think, that I, don't think, I don't think anyone will think this, but I really liked Guido for the short amount of time he was there, as well as Gambit. I didn't really think I'd like Gambit. I was like, oh. Yeah. No, those are those are interesting. Those are those are fine choices. Those are interesting choices, yeah. right? No. They're, they're, well, because they're like, Guido, no, like, I, I feel so I, bad I, for I, Guido. I agree, I agree with the Guido thing. Like, no, when he I, was yeah. there, it may have been short, but it was like super fun. Important. No, it was, I was Guido just like, was you poor thing. Uh, Corey, what, do you, what did you want to add? I want to throw out an honorable mention to Sabretooth and Blank. Yes. Oh, yes. Yep. They were awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And Husk, always awesome. Yes, obviously. Okay. They're all great. Favorite moment in all of Age of Apocalypse, Marius? Probably the way that uh, this new universe has been introduced to the reader, like in X-Men Alpha. Like the first few scenes in X-Men Alpha where we basically get to discover the world where uh, the X-Men are living in North America right now, like through the eyes of Bishop with the X-Men arriving for the first time. I think that was a really iconic moment. Corey. Man, that is a loaded question. Isn't it? I'll answer. I love the end with Magneto and Rogue. It really touched me. Kay. Sexually? No, I wish. Kay. Only in my childhood. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a moment. It's not my favorite moment, but a moment that stood out to me. Cool. Which one? When Morph was running down the tunnel singing the song from Alice in Wonderland disguised as the rabbit. Mm. That is so funny because I think I'm going to hop on that bandwagon and say that anything that had Morph in it was yeah, he was great. very <clears throat> underrated. And I'm like, I don't think I'll ever see a permutation of him on the screen, on the big screen, but he's great. Doesn't that suck? It sucks because he's so cool and funny. He's huge in the animated series, too. Like, that was the whole story. He died in point. the first episode. That's what I'm saying. Like, and then he, I mean, he came back. Yeah. But like, from the beginning, like, Morph was. That's true. A very important character. They Even made him for that dead. show. Because there yeah. was a moment where Morph turns into Rogue's son to get her to stand up again. And you're like, yep. yes! Oh, shit. Yeah, that was intense. Real quick, who would you recommend Age of Apocalypse to Chris? To who? I'm not going to say an X-Men fan, because obviously they probably are Well, if they haven't, what type of X-Men fan would you recommend this to? Uh, sh this, is, oh, this is a weird question. Okay, forget um, it. Uh, Marius, would you recommend Age of Apocalypse? Uh, I would recommend Age of Apocalypse to someone who has gotten a bit into the X-Men and who's in love with the X-Men and wants to see them from a totally different angle. 
Awesome. That's called an answer. Uh, Corey, <laughs> That's a how different about... question. Corey, what about you? I would agree with Marius. I would just say that that person would have to be well-versed in X-Men to appreciate the differences between the Age of Apocalypse and the 616. Yeah. All right. Chris? Well, shit. Corey just gave a great answer, which is basically what I would say now when I get a different question. Okay. Kay? I actually disagree. I think this is a good story for anyone who likes time travel stories. I agree as well. So, yeah, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Commissioners Podcast. Oh, man. Um, thank you to my glorious, <laughs> and no one is more glorious than Chris Masari. <laughs> Um, oh, I got some, I got my, some praise today. Yeah, my Yay. glorious panel of comic book experts is what you guys are. Um, see you in another six months. Yeah, see you in another six months. Anyway, don't forget to check us out on comicsfirst.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Look us up. We're at Comics First on Spreaker, SoundCloud, all that stuff. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. Thank and, you, Justin. Uh, of thank you. And have a good one. Bye. <laughs>